Boot Leadership. Reaching your leadership peak is hard, so lace up your boots. Written by Caleb Vaden. Narrated by Caleb Vaden. I am thankful you have chosen to join us on this journey. Our world needs courageous and legendary leaders right now. We need leaders that know how to leave a great legacy. Copyright 2020 by Caleb Vaden. All rights reserved. It is not legal to reproduce, duplicate, or transmit any part of this audiobook in either electronic means or printed format. Recording of this publication is strictly prohibited. This book is dedicated to my best friend, my wife, the Vaden CEO, my editor, my confidant, my love, Amy, and our four sons, Elijah, Noah, Christian, and Isaiah. Thank you for always believing in, supporting, encouraging, and inspiring me to be the best version of myself. I am forever indebted to you all. I am so proud of you and very humbled to be your husband, Amy, and dad to you boys. From the mountains of Afghanistan, love, dad. And to everyone that I have had the wonderful pleasure of serving our great nation with, I am forever grateful for you, your service, your sacrifice, and for helping me become a better person. Y'all rock. Proud to serve, Chief V. Introduction. Congratulations on wanting to take your leadership journey to the next level, or waypoint as I would say, on your journey. I intentionally streamlined this book, which is I consider a trail map for you, because there is no shortage of wordy books that will run you around the mountain 25 times just to share one point. This is not one of those books. In addition, I limit how many philosophies that I share that are not my own. My objective is to share with you the steps I have taken and the lessons I have learned in my leadership journey. If you want others' opinions and or philosophies, read their books. I have a ton of respect for other authors who are also proven leaders, but I like the author's thoughts straight from the author, not about how they think others' thoughts are important alone and not really capture any of their original ideas. In this book, you will uncover the trail less traveled by leaders and the simple core steps to becoming a better version of yourself, which will make you a better follower and leader. My goal is a simple one. I truly hope to develop a generation of real leaders, legendary leaders. I call this real talk. And periodically throughout the book, I will have real talk callouts. It's possible that I will say something that stings a little. However, know that I share from the heart and with love. I also never liked anything to be sugar-coated other than cookies. I do love sugar cookies. But seriously, you will not benefit from this book if I do not keep it real with you. We will just jump right into it after this intro. And I like to keep the chapters, or as I call them, waypoints, short and make it super easy to read and retain. I love hiking, and this book's a structure off the premise that leadership is a journey, a mountain ascent even. I will try to do my best to not go overboard with my hiking analogies, but there will be a few. I offer some reflective questions at the end of each waypoint to help you in your analysis of your leadership journey. I started a Facebook group and a podcast a few months ago, and this is more of a synchronized compilation of a lot of articles that I've written, which is where some of this may be real familiar for some of you, if you follow me on Facebook or my podcast. And you will get to hear from some of the heroes I have served with. Another couple of points to note. I love quotes, and I will open each chapter with what I think sets the tone for that chapter. We can learn so much from those that have come before us. Before we get too far, though, a little bit about me. I have served the United States Air Force for 19 years at the time of this recording, and currently hold the grade of Chief Master Sergeant. I do not tell you that as to boast, but rather to highlight my experiences and successes that I have had by following these simple steps. They really do work. 
I've had the amazing opportunity to serve with and learn from some awesome leaders of which you will hear from a couple of them a little later on. I can never thank my teammates enough for their support and unwavering dedication to each other, to me, and to our Air Force mission. I've learned so much from all of those that I have served with and can only hope that I've been able to brighten their lives too. If even only a little bit, I will consider that a success. I come from very humble beginnings and was told that I would never make it and that I would come crawling back to my small hometown in Mississippi. Well, in your face. Okay, I cannot have that type of philosophy. But if you've ever heard that you will never be anything, and especially since as early as you can remember, it is hard not to have a bit of an aggressive attitude. I must have and maintain an outward mindset and look to how those beginnings help to shape the man, husband, father, and airman that I am today. There was a lot of abuse in my early days, and there are scars, both emotionally and physically, that I've had to come to terms with over my life. I tell you this is not to make you feel sorry for me, because those who know me know that is the absolute last thing I want. I only share this so you have just enough awareness, a background story on me, so that the rest of this story makes a little bit better sense to you. I met my best friend, my wife, in late 1999, and the rest, as they say, is history. Our love for one another has never wavered over these last 20 years, and I am blessed to be her husband. I joined the Air Force in 2001, five weeks after our first son was born. In 19 years, three more sons, and two dogs later, here I am. My experience and primary audience are for the brave heroes that serve our nation in the Air Force and are graduating our Airman Leadership School. For my civilian audience, this is our supervision preparatory course, and they will go on to supervise and lead airmen upon their graduation. However, I am fully persuaded that the lessons I present here will be of great benefit to anyone in any profession. Have you wondered why it seems as if your team is not connected, or just if they just seem to be conforming versus following your lead? Well, I will help you solve that through my hard-learned lessons that I would describe in this book. There is no sense in you having to learn these lessons the same way I did, in real time, but rather from the comfort of your desired reading or listening location. Do not hesitate, though. As leaders, we do not have the luxury of waiting until tomorrow to get better. For those we lead, deserve, and are waiting on the best version of you. But you should know what it takes. Lastly, why do you want to lead? It is a simple question, really. However, there are many who will struggle to answer this. I'm not here to judge or insinuate that if you cannot answer this question, that you are not meant to be a leader. Not at all. I want you to really analyze this and search your heart to see what motivates or inspires you to be a leader. It is important that we realize that we are all on different portions or stages of our leadership journey. Some of us are just starting out and may be having trouble answering the question. All the way across the leadership spectrum to those that have been successfully leading in their field for years. As you read this book, be thinking of the answer to the question presented. You do not have to have the answer by the end of the next two chapters. However, the answer should start to become clearer to you. Your primary reason for leading will most likely, once it is true and pure, not change. Although the other intangibles and what you consider rewarding about leading will most likely mature with you and flex to your environment and or career conditions. Listen, there is not one leader who has it all figured out. If there is someone that tells you otherwise, then watch out. They are not who they appear to be. Trust me. We are all in our dash. You know that dash on our headstones? You know what it is. You have seen it. It's a little dash between the date etched in when you were born and when you died. So enough chit-chat. Let's get right to the real talk on the situation 
as our time is precious. We will discuss what leadership is, which may assist you in determining your reason and passion for wanting to lead. And I will provide my reason and my passion for leading, which should serve as an example or a template for you to use in your leadership journey. Let's get it. Hey there, how's it going? Have you ever thought about doing a podcast yourself? I mean, they're literally everywhere. Everywhere you turn, there's a new podcast popping up. And you could be one of the ones starting a podcast yourself. Listen, it is super easy. I've been doing it for a few months now. And if I can do it, I promise you anyone can do it. If you haven't heard about Anchor, that's the easiest platform that I know of that you can get started on. It's really, really simple. You simply download the app. I'll get to those details in a second. And you just start right from your phone. You can open the app. There's many different tools that you have to create interludes and music, all kind of fun stuff. Even has a, a particular specific place on there where people can send you private messages or a message of congratulations uh, or maybe some feedback on a podcast. And like I said, there's so many creative tools to get into. There's too much to get into on this simple ad here. But listen, if you're serious and you want to start a podcast, even if you're not serious and like me and you just like having fun and you want to create a podcast, go to your app store, whatever app store that you use, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Super simple. Have fun. What is leadership? A true leader has the confidence to stand alone, the courage to make tough decisions, and the compassion to listen to the needs of others. He does not set out to be a leader, but becomes one by the equality of his actions and the integrity of his intent. Douglas MacArthur. This is a funny topic to me. Why? Well, because it depends on who you ask. Just go on over to your favorite internet search engine and type in the title above, and you will instantly see exactly what I'm talking about. Now, I love quotes and you will see them sprinkled all about this book. And the reason that I like them is because I am a firm believer that the art and science of leadership is not anything new. See, there have been amazing leaders that have come before us, some more than five generations before us, and they have already figured it out for us. Therefore, that is why I like quotes from these renowned leaders. They have already been there and done that. Real talk. Do not get caught up in the culturally defined example of what leadership is. Take the quote we just started this chapter off with. It is simple, and it sums up leadership perfectly. The concept of leadership is not hard, and it is so simple that it will make your head explode. Do not get caught up in all the hustle and bustle of this grandiose, culturally defined example of what leadership is. You and I both know that there are a lot, maybe an even incalculable amount of leadership articles, podcasts, books, and etc. I even even done a few myself, to be honest. Yet, we still have a great deficit of real leaders. I know that does not surprise you. Just look around. Why do we have a lack of real leaders? Legendary leaders, you may ask? Well, in my humble opinion, it is because our culture and our society has glamorized leaders and their science and art we all know as leadership. It's not that we really need to glamorize it at all. And even further to make a point, real leaders do not need it to be glamorized anyway. They will lead regardless. Real talk. Real leaders take action and develop replacements. I believe that we have glamorized it in such a way that many of our youth believe it is failure if they do not want to lead. We have made following seem subpar and not culturally accepted. In this endeavor, we have inadvertently created a massive power vacuum and have promoted countless amounts of ill-prepared, inexperienced, fake, and downright horrible leaders. Yes, 
They post all their leadership successes on social media. However, when the audience, the pawns in their story, very seldom, if ever, see how everything is caged just right to capture the perfect, self-elating, and yay-for-me picture. So, what are we to do? For one thing, we, the real leaders, must take action and develop others to replace us. Leadership is an action of sacrifice, serving others, hard work, dedication, and a desire to help others reach their full potential. However, before we get there, we must discuss another key component of leadership development that usually gets a bad rap. Let us talk about the F word. Yes, followership. Yes, I just went there. I would like to walk us through a quick scenario to help paint the picture of how important followership is in the development of real leadership. Did you know that the qualities of a good leader are also found in a good follower? Who would have guessed it, right? Real talk, there are no secrets to leadership. Anyway, before you throw this book across the room or this audio, whatever you're listening to it on, because you thought it was a guide to be a great leader, just stay with me for a second. I want to let you in on a little secret. There are not any secrets to leadership. What? Yes, that's right. There are not any secrets. However, there are a lot of things that others just do not talk about because it is not flashy or self-elating. One of the key growth areas and a true preparation in becoming a leader is peer followership and or peer leadership. And to help you understand what leadership is, I want to walk us through a peer followership scenario. Remember that flashy IG post about leadership we just talked about? Listen, that is not leadership. Yes, there are some legitimate leaders out there, and they are doing great things for those that they lead and all of those around them. However, they will be just fine if we do not talk about them. Let us talk about the rest of the people out there in the real world. Shall we talk about you? Yes, you. I know how you feel. So there you are thinking that you are the next best leader and then wham! Yes, those, those days. Put one of your peers in charge. How could they not see your potential? Okay, I get it. This has never happened to you. So I'll talk about my own story. You can sit back and relax and learn from someone else's story. When I came back to reality after my brief visit in this afterlife, I was furious that I hadn't been overlooked. No, wait. I had been outright mistreated, stabbed in the back, maybe even intentionally sabotaged. When I really thought about it, I was deliberately sabotaged. This was the heart of the good old boy system. Now, that is how I felt. Sound familiar? <laughs> sure it does. Real talk. We are not always the best. Sometimes others are better. Why do we automatically jump to the conclusion like this? Why do we take it so personal? Well, for starters, we're not used to any real feedback regarding our performance because as a society, we just don't give beneficial and or constructive feedback. Most of us grew up hearing that we are all just the best fill in the blank. However, we are not always the best. Sometimes, many times even, others are better than we are. True. There are also some times when you are the best and it is some sort of sabotage. There are different ways to go about seeking and receiving retribution for those actions. However, between those actions and for the ones that we are not qualified for, our actions should be the same. Heroes, listen to me. That is what I want to talk to you about. The time between now and then. How should we respond as followers? Well, once you get off your high horse, you will see the individual, yes, that human being, in most cases had nothing to do with the actual decision. How would you want to be treated by your followers? Should you find yourself in that same position? Oh yeah, I just went there. I want to be treated with respect, to be trusted, and to be supported. 
My wife Amy had to remind me of this when I found myself in this very situation. She also said, Caleb, isn't someone still technically following you too? Wise woman, she was right. There are always others watching us. What she was really saying, and I just won't be so gentle, suck it up and get over yourself. You have a shining opportunity directly in front of you. Be thankful that you have been granted with such a blessing. You will be their example. You may say, I don't want this opportunity. And I say to that, you're not ready to lead then. I'm not trying to be mean. I just want you to hear the truth. Leaders are humble servants to those they lead. And additionally, good followers are humble servants to those around them. Ouch! Well, back to my story then, I guess. I chose to listen to my wife, which is always productive with positive outcomes, and looked around to truly serve those around me, and to include the one that was leading us. He did not make the choice to be in this position, nor was he deliberately trying to sabotage me. Now, even though he gave me plenty of opportunities to work on my patience, I took every opportunity to try and help him be successful. I understood that it is also not easy leading your peers, and I knew the more I supported him, the higher the probability was of me being able to influence him for the greater good of the entire team and our mission. I also tried to see what I could learn from him. No, this experience was not my first choice. However, I understood that I could learn from it. After all, it was him calling the shots and I could learn from what worked and what did not. Was this easy? Well, no. However, I never advertised followership that way. Following will cause you to bury your pride and focus on someone other than yourself, which is not easy for most. I am going to let you in on a little secret. If that is not easy for you and you do not get that fixed, then you will most likely struggle a lot at real leadership. You had better get comfortable with humility right now, and there is probably not a better way to work on humility than to follow in a supporting role. Real talk, this is not about you. I would like to help you out with something. Focus helps me, and I want to share five things that I believe will help you focus on your followership journey. This list is not all-inclusive, but it should get you started on and keep you on the right track. Acknowledge that you may not actually be the best or even as good as you think you are. Two, look to learn from the experience. Three, acknowledge that successful followers and leaders all exhibit the same attributes, character traits, and if you are following right, it won't be long before someone notices your leadership potential. Four, do not make this about you. Seriously, do not do that because you will absolutely miss the point, your opportunity to serve others and your ability to grow as a human. Five, look for ways to support the leader and those around you and always live with an attitude of gratitude. Wow, that was cool, right? Yeah. Well, even if you did not think it was, you should keep listening. Why? Because this book is for you, and it really is about leadership. What I really want you to know about leadership is this. It's not about you, so do not try to make it about you. Our sixth president, John Quincy Adams, said it best when he said, If your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. Leadership really is that simple. It's all about action, as you cannot inspire people by sitting on your backside. Like followership, I want to share five things that I believe will help you on your leadership journey. This list is not all-inclusive, but it should get you started on and keep you on the right track. 1. Acknowledge that you may not actually be the best or even as good as you think you are. 2. Look to learn from the experience. 3. Acknowledge that successful followers and leaders all exhibit the same attributes, 
character traits. And if you are following right, it won't be long before someone notices your additional leadership potential. Four, do not make this about you. Seriously, don't do that because you will absolutely miss the point. Your opportunity to serve others and your ability to grow as a human. Five, look for ways to support the leader. Oh yeah, there's always one of those. And those around you and always live with an attitude of gratitude. Now look, do you still want to throw the device that you're listening to this book on? Because I simply repeated all but a couple of words from my followership scenario on how to be a better leader. Well, to be fair, I did tell you that I'm a bit unorthodox. I do not sugarcoat anything, except for those sugar cookies, which I do love. And I want you to have the truth. Every true leader is a true follower. Every true follower is a true leader. You are followed because of the dreams you pursue. You pursue others because of the dreams they follow. Israelimor Ayavor. The sooner you come to terms with this concept, the sooner you will see that you are already leading. This journey you are on is just that, a journey. Leadership, like life, is about the journey, not a finite destination. When you look at leadership as a destination, you will fail. I'm not talking about the fail forward movement. I'm talking about literal failure. Yes, you know it. That feeling of despair, utter disappointment, complete loss, nothingless. That's exactly how you will feel. And worse yet, that is how those that you are entrusted to lead will feel. Well then, that was heavy right there at the end. And you may be asking yourself if you have what it takes to be a leader. Let me tell you something. You absolutely have what it takes. These truths are just tough to hear sometimes when our culture, our society, does not talk about leadership this way. That is also why you do not see that many real leaders. I love what Theodore Roosevelt says. Do what you can with what you have where you are. This is such a true statement. So many times we can become so worried, fixated really, on those opportunities that we want to think we deserve versus growing where we are planted. Let me just encourage you to enjoy the moment, the people, and the experience that you are currently in. We are all in some growth season, and you do not have to worry about where everyone else is on their journey as a measuring stick to whether your journey is successful or not. So, where are you? Are you chasing something that seems out of reach? Alternatively, are you enjoying the stage of life that you are in? Remember, it's all about the journey, and we all have a different one. Yes, some may be similar. However, you are on your own unique journey with your own unique experiences. Do not conform to what you may feel is accepted norms. You must be authentic and be yourself. Now, there will be times where you change to meet the situation in order to be the most effective. But your personal core values should not be compromised at all. Key takeaways. We certainly covered a lot of ground here in this chapter, and we tested the boundaries on our society's leadership narrative. We challenged much of what you may have considered leadership, and with any luck, we were able to help you focus on the importance of leadership development through a widely unknown and very seldom acknowledged ally on our journey, followership. We also talked about five focus areas that will really help you discover your leadership trail. Acknowledge that you may not actually be the best or even as good as you think you are. Look to learn from the experience. Acknowledge that successful followers and leaders all exhibit the same attributes, character traits, and if you are following leading right, it won't be long before someone notices your potential. Do not make this about you. Seriously, do not do that because it will, you absolutely miss the point, your opportunity to serve others, and your ability to grow as a human. Look for ways to support the leader. Remember, there's always one of those. And those around you, and always live with an attitude of gratitude. Reflective questions. What experiences have you learned the most from? 
Do you struggle to support those in leadership roles? In the next chapter, we will cover why I lead, which I hope will give you an example and or a template to assist you with determining your reason for leading. Why I lead. If your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. John Quincy Adams. Others affirm you as a leader. You do not affirm yourself. I think for you to truly understand my reasoning, my passion for leading, we will need to discuss three critical components. My personal values, my why, and my journey. Before we get too far into this chapter, it is important to understand that I have not quote-unquote arrived, nor do I think I have all the answers. As previously stated, we are all on different segments of our journey, and we all have different life experiences. Real talk, you must know your values. What I hope to do over the next few paragraphs is to help you understand a little bit about me and my passion for leading, which will hopefully make the following chapters of this book a little clearer for you. As I always say, you must know the person before you can understand the person, truly learn from the person, or ever be able to lead the person. Yes, I know I said person a lot, which is another critical component of my leadership philosophy. As leaders, we are in the people business, plain and simple. So, why I lead? My personal core values. You have personal core values, right? What are personal core values? Well, for me, they are faith, family, service. And I live those out through integrity, love, courage, and discipline with passion, trust, and legacy. I was all a little perplexed. I was a little perplexed on where the placement of my why and my personal value section for this book should be, because they are so closely related. However, in the end, I chose to talk about it first. I chose to talk about values first. I believe your values are so ingrained into your being that they cannot easily be changed, and they are key in developing your why. However, before we proceed, I would like to walk you through my personal core values so that you can gain a deeper understanding of who I really am, and it may serve as a good template for you to formulate and record your values, if you have not already tackled that. Faith. Let us start with my faith. My faith does not matter the exact type, but I am a Christian. It's centered to everything that I do as a man, a husband, father, and leader. It is my moral compass. It is my source of energy and clarity. Family. Family is extremely important to me, and they must come first in my life decisions. I frequently tell our airmen to never sell out their family to chase a stripe. I've never had to do that, and I made it to the top of our enlisted grade. Just do not let them pull the wool over your ass. Service. My third core value of service is most likely self-explanatory, but I would like to highlight a couple of things. Service is unforgiving and requires sacrifice. I serve my God, my family, and those I lead. Service is often flippantly tossed about as if it is so easy to do. Like as easy as it is to breathe or to sleep, it is not. Anyone who is called to serve will go the full distance with you, and even when they themselves can no longer go, they figure out how and find another gear anyway. It's called grit. Integrity, love, courage, and discipline are my mantra and how I fulfill my personal core values. Integrity. Integrity should be easy to comprehend and understand. If you cannot be true to your word, actions, or thoughts, then no one will follow you. Ever. Love. Love is above all. 
It does not matter if I move the heavens and earth. It will not matter if I do it without love. Love is patient, kind, long-suffering, forgiving, and everlasting. Love does not choose one over another based on anything outside of merit, character, or performance. Courage. We all get scared, and I am no different. The thing that separates most good leaders from the great ones is courage. Courage is the action of standing up and moving forward in the face of fear. Discipline. All of these are held tightly together through and by discipline. We must have discipline of the body and mind, lest we all fall victim to the temptations of the selfish nature most humans struggle with. My why, the vital component. My why statement. I create a remarkable experience, care, so that others know that they are valued, that they matter, and that they can achieve their full potential, even if they can't see that potential in themselves. This is my why, which took me a few years to formulate. It is not that I was intentionally dragging my feet. It was just that I was not intentional about understanding my why. I had no idea why it was important to understand my why, and it wasn't until I read Start With Why by Simon Sinek that I realized that I did not have my why, or at least I did not know what it was that I was leading and living far below my potential. Real talk. You need to know your why. See, many of our professions, and especially in the Air Force, we are not mentored or even coached, at least not holistically, on the importance of understanding our why and how vital it is in developing, refining, and enhancing our leadership potential and effectiveness. Once I read Simon's book, Start With Why, I knew that I had to dig in and figure out my why. I understood that if I wanted a limitless leadership potential, it would allow me to impact and inspire other people to reach their maximum potential, then I would have to figure out why I was here on earth. Per the guidance contained within Simon's book and my own personal objectives, I broke it down into the following parts. I wanted to understand why I breathed air and why anyone would care. I know that sounds dark, but just stay with me here. During my self-reflection, attempting to find my why, I also had to come to grips with my early childhood scars, my emotional and psychological scars. No, this is not a book on psychology, nor am I pretending to be a doctor of any type. However, I know from my experience that if you really want to maximize your potential as a leader, then you have to deal with any scars that you may have. Real talk. If you do not know your why, then you will not be effective at leading others. I had to deal with my scars in order to figure out my why, because my scars were holding me back. This book is not about my scars, but I do bring it up here because of its criticality in my leadership journey. I was abused emotionally and physically in my early childhood, and it shaped my character and responses in my adult life. As an example, I was void of any real empathy, compassion, or love in my leadership style. I had not been raised or even shown those critical and basic human traits, and it reflected negatively in my leadership. I was not aware that I was capable or even that it was necessary to lead with empathy, love, and grace. Once I was able to overcome my early childhood scars, I began to understand my why, why I was here on earth, and what my purpose was and is. My why statement that I read to you earlier and is above in the written format at the beginning of this chapter, but I want you to understand that it did not happen overnight. Our journey as humans is not one of instant gratifications and pixie dust make-believe. It is chock full of opportunities which often look like obstacles. Real grief, sorrow, sacrifice, and a lot of work, disappointment, love, humility, inspiration, and you get the idea as it goes on and on. Real talk. If you have scars, you will have to deal with them. There is no easy answer for life or the application of leadership. It takes work, and you do not ever need to forget that. 
Remember, I said the concept of leadership is easy, not the application. This was a two-year journey for me, maybe shorter or longer for you, before I felt in harmony with my why. I know that I sped through my story and only shared very generalized facts regarding my very troubled up beginnings. I'm not making light of its importance. It is just that this book is not about going into the details of my life. However, you, the reader or listener, must understand that uncovering your why and dealing with your scars can be a very long and painful process. Once I was synced with my why, I really felt my leadership effectiveness start improving. I was fully aware of and committed to making those around me better. My heart on leadership in its simplest form has always been about helping others be and do better, which marries perfectly with my why. Please listen to my advice here. If you do not know your why, then how can you possibly be effective at leading others to reach their maximum potential and preparing them to replace you? Simply put, you cannot. So you may ask, how does your why and dealing with your scars really play into all of this? Good question. I think it is best if I utilize my personal example to answer this. See, my scars were those of bitterness, anger, malice, hate, and rage, which came through my leadership and negatively affected everyone around me. I was not building them up. I was not helping them. I was not intent on helping them become better people. I was not inspiring them. I was not leading them. I was a selfish, angry person who could not tell you why I was here on earth, other than for selfish objectives. Once I was able to deal with and overcome my scars, I was able to meet people where they were and really empathize with them. I could show compassion and treat them with love, showing them grace in their mistakes, and I could want better for them because I wanted better for myself. Then came the why. There it was. I had dealt with and overcome my scars, and I had my why. Now the only thing left to do is to get out there on my journey and lead. As I started to approach people in this manner, I began to feel like I was actually doing what John Quincy Adams so famously said when he said, if your actions inspire others to dream more, to learn more, to do more, and to become more, you are a leader. I felt that through my actions, I was truly inspiring others, and those I was responsible to lead, guide, mentor, and inspire began to affirm me as a leader. Footnote, I realize that every individual that has scars must come to terms with those scars on their own timetable and under the care of a medical professional if required. This journey requires boots and mentors. My leadership journey is a long one that has required mental toughness, courage, and endurance. I needed a quote-unquote boot mentality. Boot mentality? Yes, you heard that right. I need boots for this journey, not slippers. Or to follow that in the following chapters. Now think about my leadership journey like a hike. I mentioned this in the first of the book. A long hike up a treacherous mountain. There have been plenty of obstacles. I see those as opportunities to excel in my path, and it was not an easy climb. I use the present tense because I'm still climbing this mountain. Many leaders are those that simply occupy a leadership position but are not real leaders, and they always waver on their climb. They're known as the lazy fairies, the slipper wearers, who do not like or do not have what it takes or refuse to do what it takes to be the real leader. I refuse to be a slipper-wearing leader or a fake until I make it leader. Let me jump in on the rabbit hole on this one real quick. You cannot fake it until you make it because you're the only one that is being fake. Everyone will know or at least will find out real soon that you are a fake. They are always watching. I wanted to be a legend. I wanted to be the leader that made a true and lasting impact on those that I was entrusted to lead. I wanted to be in their stories. Yeah, you know, the stories they tell when you're not around. Oh, man. 
I hope you already knew about that they talk about you. I did not want it as praise, and I knew that I would never hear it. It's about them, not me, remember? However, one day I imagined them standing at a podium speaking to a crowd of airmen, and for them to say, let me tell you about a real supervisor and a leader. Let me tell you about old Sergeant Vaden. As I said, not for my glory, but that would have meant that I had a major impact on their life. Who will you be in their stories? Leadership is like a long, grueling hike as stated before. It is not for the faint of heart leaders. It takes a legend to provide real leadership, leadership that inspires. And I wanted to be a legend. Therefore, I laced up my boots years ago and got out there on my journey to inspire others. No, the trail has not been easy. And in fact, it has been downright hard. A lot. Nevertheless, that is how you know it is worth it. I have learned a lot on my journey, and yes, I know I have a lot more to learn. But I wanted to take a five-minute break on this journey to share with you what I have learned up until this point. There is absolutely no need for you to have to walk through the same struggles. I need you, they need you to be well-prepared, energized, and mentored to take this journey further than I will ever be able to take it. You are the future. I had dealt with my scars, figured out my why, but there was still something amiss. I continuously wondered what it was that was missing. Then seemingly out of nowhere, it hit me. I did not have someone I trusted that would give me advice on this journey. But more than just that, I needed someone to walk with me. See, that is what mentorship and is more on the future chapters, but that is what mentorship is. I started to cultivate relationships with people that I knew would not only guide me in the right direction, walk the journey with me on the difficult parts, but would also tell me when to blaze my own trail. I would like to call out my life mentors here. J.W. Perkins, my wife's grandpa and first true father figure that cared about me. Mark Anderson, United States Air Force Mass Sergeant, retired. Rick Barnett, pastor. Scott Wolverton, men's ministry leader in Bossier City, L.A., fire chief of Shreveport, Louisiana. John Eunice, United States Air Force Colonel, retired. Brian Duffy, United States Air Force Colonel, retired. And Michael Francis, United States Air Force Lieutenant Colonel. There have been hundreds of others that helped me in my career and in great ways, but those I listed and called out above are truly the ones that kept me from falling into a point beyond recovery. Thanks, heroes. I lead to make people better, looking for the positives and the potential in people. Key takeaways. I think you get the strategic picture here. To be a highly effective leader, I think you get the strategic picture here. To be a highly effective leader, you must know your why and deal with any emotional scars that are holding you back, if you indeed do have scars. As we stated, make sure to speak to medical professionals as applicable when you are working through any emotional scars and to be 100% true with yourself. Also, remember that this journey, a real legendary leadership journey, is not for the faint of heart. It requires durable footwear, a boot mentality. So lace up those boots, leave your slippers at home, and let's get it! Know and stay true to your personal values. Deal with, overcome your emotional scars. Find your why. Lace up your boots for the journey. Find a mentor or mentors. Reflective questions. What are your personal values and why? And have you shared those with anyone else? Do you have any emotional scars to overcome? Do you have any mentors? Next up is an interlude, and then following chapters are where we will truly get into the simple yet practical steps. I call them waypoints that I really believe will help you on your journey. Let's get it. Lead them well. As promised, legends, yes, start speaking and acting it into existence. 
because you are the only one who can determine if you do what it takes to be a legend. It will take a lot of work, blood, sweat, tears, sacrifice, humility, and well, you get the idea. But it will happen. This is the part of the book where we will go into the weeds, so to speak, of the how-to of the book. These are the chapters, and or also known as waypoints, if applied correctly to your individual personality, character traits, and situation will benefit you, and most importantly, those you lead. Again, I do not claim to have all the answers, and most of the following waypoints are straight from me, not cultivated from another author or point of view. As I stated before, I have tremendous amounts of respect for other leaders. However, they did not walk this journey. I did. I have walked this journey, so I figured the best way to share it is from my own words. I have included a couple of amplifying points from a couple of my close friends and also heroes that I have worked with and hold in high regard as a powerhouse, legendary leaders. And I included them because I know they will really impact you. Real talk. Leading will take a lot of hard work, blood, sweat, tears, sacrifice, and humility. There are eight waypoints, critical points along the trail, that I believe leaders are most likely to encounter. I know I sure did. And they are derived from my monthly leadership minutes and or Real Talk episodes. I've intentionally kept the waypoint short enough for you to be able to use to help your teams. Cut them out, post them on a wall or whatever, yet long enough to still provide enough depth for understanding on the top. Bottom line, I wanted them to be bite-sized pieces that are easy to consume, understand, and apply. Well, that is more than enough chit-chat. Let us get to those waypoints already, huh? Waypoints. Waypoint one, reaching your peak potential. Waypoint two, attitude of gratitude. Waypoint three, circle of influence and mentorship. Waypoint four, addressing toxic behavior. Waypoint five, crucial conversations. Waypoint six, pursue excellence. Waypoint seven, developing inclusive leaders. Waypoint eight, becoming a legend. Reaching your peak potential. With the fail-safe formula of authenticity plus vulnerability plus transparency equals credibility. Via the leadership philosophy of passion, trust, legacy. Implemented with care. There are no secrets to success. Don't waste time looking for them. Success is a result of perfection, hard work, learning from failure, loyalty to those for whom you work with and for, and persistence. General Retired, Colin Powell. Opening Thoughts I think that most of us can agree that leadership foundation must be trust. Without trust, then you will never achieve much, and you will not be capable of truly leading people. I also submit to you that without trust, we really cannot hope to be revered as credible. So how do we build trust? Great question, and the rest of this book will highlight this as an opening waypoint on building and reinforcing trust through authenticity, transparency, and vulnerability. Reaching and maintaining your peak performance requires a combination of passion, focus, commitment, patience, and perseverance, which will ultimately lead to success in leadership and honestly in whatever you do. However, not so fast, legends. We must take a closer look at how we get to credibility. But first, let's throw in a freebie on how to reach your peak performance. Yes, I know it sounds like a play on words, but just hold your judgment until you have read it. Or in this case, listen to it. Some of this also complements our earlier discussions. Reach your peak performance by Keep an A-plus attitude. The overall attitude of the people and the atmosphere of your work center is generally a reflection of the attitude of its leadership. 
in order to perform your best, manage conflict, deal with adversity, and take care of your people, you must develop, maintain, and exude a positive attitude. It is contagious. You need an attitude of gratitude. More on that in the next waypoint. And as my good friend Crystal Harris would say, your attitude determines your altitude. Find a mentor. Good mentors can provide you with advice, guidance, candid feedback, and global perspective you need to progress personally and professionally. Choose wisely. Only look for the mentors that you trust, not the ones that have just been where you want to be. Listen, there are a lot of people out there that are claiming to be quote-unquote mentors to others, but that is simply not true. Based on my experience, I have only seen a handful of people that truly mentor others. So when you are choosing a mentor, maybe better stated, a coach, make sure that it is someone that you truly respect based on their personal core values and not just what they have accomplished. Trust me, when someone does not have the same or at least personal values that complement yours, their advice will be, at best, hard to follow. We are all motivated and inspired based on our core values. So when they do not align, it is difficult. Take on the tough jobs, the ones everyone else is running from or shirking. Tough assignments allow you to exercise your leadership muscle and sharpen your professional skills. You must have the courage and confidence to step up to any assignment that will challenge your leadership ability. These tough jobs often lead to positive results and recognition as well as create roadmaps and confidence for future critical assignments. How many times have you heard someone say, it's all about the opportunities and timing? Well, opportunities often show up looking like obstacles or challenges, and the time is now to lace up your boots and get after it. I've never taken on a tough job that no one else wanted and been sorry that I did. In fact, it has always been the opposite. I've grown up so much and multiplied my confidence through these tough jobs, and honestly, that is why it's called blazing your own trail. Be a lifelong learner. To operate at your peak performance, you must be well-versed in both the technical and professional aspects of your job. Read as much as you can about your primary duty requirements and become a student of leadership. I challenge you to read and listen to books, watch videos, listen to podcasts on leadership and other topics that you are both in an agreement for and against. It really helps broaden your perspective. Try this as a starter to exposing yourself to opposing viewpoints. Watch all, let me say that again, watch all the main news outlets, not just your preferred choice. Oh yeah, it will work. Gain insight on different tactics and procedures because it will pay dividends for you in the end. Reaching your peak performance is about the journey, not the destination. Theoretically, you will never get to a point where you have learned enough, so continue to seek knowledge and improve your capacity and value through education and experience. There is no substitute for experience. Trust me. The opportunities to learn are limitless. Remember, this is not an instantaneous thing, so do not waste time looking for the quick fix. Embrace the journey. Authenticity. What comes to mind when you see or hear the word authenticity? How about what comes to mind when you see it written or hear someone say, authentic leadership? Well, most of the people that I have talked to about this, and that has been quite a lot, honestly, say that they really do not know what it means. Most will seemingly default to saying, well, just be yourself. However, it must be more than that, right? Of course there's more to it than that. And I will tell you that it is also does not mean to be yourself exclusively, especially if you have areas that need to be refined. Because face it, some people do not need to be themselves and lead other people. Yeah, I know you know the type I'm talking about here. If we were to look up the definition of authenticity, what it is, what it means, we would find that it means in the simplest form to not copy and paste anyone else. 
You must be true to your values and beliefs and not be swayed by what is popular now. However, wait, what does that mean when you try to apply it to leadership? What is authentic leadership? Well, it's quite simple, really. It's applying your values, remember, we talked about that in part one, to your leadership philosophy. It does not mean that you read this or any other book and try to regurgitate it in your leadership journey. Why? Because you will most likely fail at being perceived as authentic. Remember, this book is a trail guide, a roadmap, not a direct order or a compliance narrative. Now, if your values are the same as mine, and or are you close to mine, or you're my cologne, then you may be okay with just copying and pasting here. But everyone else has to apply it in accordance with their own personal values. Otherwise, it will not be authentic. Maybe I should go a little more in depth here. Imagine, heck, you may have even seen it play out like this, where you are in a human resource department, your boss, your manager, or a person who is responsible for your well-being, as it applies to the work environment, and supervision is a mild-mannered person who is relatively a quite-spoken leader. Now, let's say they decide to read a book on leadership, and they pick up a book written by a U.S. Navy SEAL. Yeah, you know the ones that are super warriors. They return to work the following week and immediately try to apply the leadership philosophy that the SEAL team leader used in their endeavors, which, let's be honest, was taking care of a nation's business on the battlefield, not in a human resource department. See, as it turns out, the HR department does not take kindly to the boss walking in saying, Team, listen up! You're all effed up. Go and F yourself. And your colleagues would not see this boss as authentic. You all may see something that starts with an A, but not authentic, if you get my drift. That is what I'm saying. That's what I'm getting at here. Do not blindly apply leadership philosophies without first melding them with your personality traits, core personal values, and the team you are leading. The boss in our previous example failed in all those aspects. I submit that you too, like the rest of us, have failed in a very similar way. No? Ask your team or previous teams and I bet they may have a different story to tell you versus the one that is in your old memory bank right now. Listen, we all do it. Do not run from it. Just face it head on and stop doing it. Simply be authentic. I have a couple of sub areas that I believe will help you. Now, these are my personal leadership route legs, which ties to a waypoint if you're not familiar with hiking, but they may work for you too. Just remember to cross check with your personality, core personal values, and your team dynamics before applying. Passion. I must do everything with passion. If you can't tell just me reading this book, I have to do it with passion. If you do not have passion for something, then why are you doing it? As leaders, we must be inspirational. And if we do not have passion, we will not inspire others to follow us. Remember the why we discussed earlier? Well, if you do not have your why, then you can forget obtaining your maximum personal or passion levels. Figure out your why and lead with passion. Real talk. Leaders must have passion. Trust. It's the foundation of leadership, and I cannot overstate the importance of trust. We must trust each other, and when we do not trust those around us, we are at a much higher probability of failing. We will fail ourselves, those around us, and whatever our mission or job is. We build trust by being credible and approachable. What makes you trust someone? At a minimum, you need to be that type of person unless your idea and comfort level of trust goes against the organization's values. Remember, trust is so easily lost through careless actions or words. So do not fake it. We already debunked the fake it till you make it myth, remember? Care. For me, care stands for create a remarkable experience and is an extraordinarily simple way of life for you as a leader. In a world full of leadership philosophies, this is the one, even though simplistic, it will be the most effective leadership action that drives results. Yes, it really is that simple. Listen, as leaders, we must provide our followers more than just lip service. We must be leaders of action that guide, coach, 
mentor, and inspire our teams and organizations to excellence. Real leadership takes action, and the see and care is just that, a call to action. Leaders create the environment they set and set the conditions in which their teams and organizations are capable to flourish. Leaders must create this positive and safe environment, and they cannot wait on someone else to do it. If you wait, you fail in this arena. What is a remarkable experience anyway? Well, there are undoubtedly many definitions of what constitutes a remarkable experience. However, for the sake of our discussion here, a remarkable experience is a positive experience that a follower should have regarding an action that the leader has taken. Think of it this way. Try to remember a time that someone else actually cared about you, your life, your family, your goals, and your career, and was not simply there to pay you lip service and quote-unquote check the leadership boxes. You probably felt like they were concerned about you and your opportunities at achieving your goals and success. You also most likely recognized that they were more interested in adding value to your life versus gaining anything for themselves. In a word, they were selfless. That is exactly what care principle is all about, adding value to others' lives versus your own. Authenticity is about adding value to the lives of those you lead. It's about leading with your values, never accepting anything less than your very best. It's about you slowing down, stop checking boxes, and to start or continue, if you're already doing it, creating relationships with people. It's about preparing others to take your place and then empowering them to take it. It is about being the same person on the job as you are when you're hanging out with your family and your friends. I often say, if you've ever seen Caleb, then you've seen Chief Vaden and vice versa. Vulnerability. You must be vulnerable if you ever desire to be a legendary leader, plain and simple. Most people do not connect with leaders who are not vulnerable because those leaders are not seen as approachable. Now, very seldom do these same people who do connect with leaders describe that leader as vulnerable, but they are vulnerable nonetheless. Honestly, most people describe them as very transparent and quote-unquote real. That is true, and we will cover transparency here in a little bit, but we can never reach any notable level of transparency if we are not first vulnerable. What comes to mind when you read or hear the word vulnerable? Most people think weakness. However, I submit to you that it takes courage to be a vulnerable leader. Otherwise, you risk the perception that you are a robot or superhuman and that you are never wrong. That is only, not only not inspiring, because people can't see themselves in you and or your position if they always must have it together or must be perfect. It's honestly a turnoff. People do not want to follow leaders that are always right. Let us put it this way. If people cannot see themselves in you or the organization, they will not be inspired by you. If you're not real, then you are not inspiring. You may think you are, but you're not. Brene Brown talks about vulnerability, and she does a much better job and more justice than I can do. So go check out her book, Dare to Lead, and her TED Talk on the subject. It will bless you, I promise. To be vulnerable, you must be very confident in your personal values, your beliefs, and your life position. You must be willing to have open conversation and be receptive to constructive criticism. Remember our why discussion? Well, this is exactly in line with that. If you know why you are here on earth, and if any part of it is to lead, then it is highly probable that you will be more open to the idea of being vulnerable. May I share something with you? The largest leap in my leadership effectiveness, not that I'm claiming to have achieved any real leadership milestone, happened in 2013 at Kadena Air Base, Japan. And I'm fully convinced that it is why I am here today is because I decided to be vulnerable with my team. I also submit to you that exercising vulnerability will create the biggest leap for any leader. I will not go into my life story, but as a reminder of what I shared earlier, just to provide you with some situational awareness. I endured abuse as a child from the hands of my father, among some other horrible situations that I was exposed to in my early childhood. I was ashamed of where I was from, and I was ashamed of what my father had done to others and to me. 
I thought that others would place his guilt and quote-unquote sins on my head as if it was de- I was destined to repeat the same things. Finally, during one of our resiliency stand-down days, I shared a portion of my story and my struggles. Here I was, a master sergeant, sharing my story with our entire team from the newest junior airman up. I gathered everyone up in the break room and stated that I wanted to share with them and why, my purpose, my heart, my reason. And then I kicked us off. I shared what I feared, what I struggled with, and what I wanted out of life. And I shared about the times when I was not even sure that I wanted to live as a young teen. I finally said, this is me. This is Caleb. This is who is behind this uniform. I had originally expected for some of the team to write me off and think of me as weak. Now some may have, but I never knew about it. No one ever voiced or did anything to lead me to believe that they felt that way. All they ever did was support me, and they started to share their stories too. We instantly began to grow stronger as a team that day, and we all had a newfound respect for each other because we started to realize that we all go through things. I had shared some of my deepest secrets and fears, and it sparked sharing and growth for our team. And in turn, I felt a huge weight lifted from my shoulders. That is an example of what leadership vulnerability means to me. I should also state that you must know yourself and what you are comfortable sharing. You may not be comfortable enough to share your entire story yet, but keep working with your team and share the portions of your story that both you and your team can handle. Always keep it professional and clearly state your purpose. Once you state your purpose for sharing, it will assist your team in becoming ready to listen, hear, and learn from you. Additionally, being vulnerable does not always mean sharing your story. Sometimes it is as simple as admitting you are wrong. A challenge. I challenge you to consider what vulnerability means to you and how you can show a little bit as a leader. Remember, no one really likes a superhero that they cannot see themselves in. Lead on. Transparency. To see through, right? Absolutely. Some of you are probably saying, come on now, Caleb. Don't worry. I'll walk you through this, and it really is simple. While this concept is simple, I must warn you to apply with caution. You must not lead with such transparency that you end up sharing information that is personal or sensitive in nature. I know that it's highly probable that you have been in an organization where you were like, why do we do it that way? Why do they get the promotion or award when I know that I'm better than them? Right? Well, if you have, then lean in and listen so you do not repeat the same leadership mistakes that creates an environment that spawns those questions. My friend Brian Kruselink says that transparency and trust are on a sliding scale, and you must adjust as applicable for desired results, depending on your team. I agree with this concept, and that is where I want to drop in on transparent, this transparency concept. Honestly, transparency really does not work without a high level of vulnerability. As a leader, you must create a certain level of transparency so that your team can see for themselves what is going on. Now, I cannot possibly explain or give an example for every potential scenario that would be applicable across every type of organization. However, I think I have a decent illustration that will help you grasp this concept, which is an award process. Real talk. Leaders create transparency. Let us pretend we are in an organization that has an awards process to recognize its employees, and you are the owner or primary office of responsibility for this awards process. I advise you to slide the scales all the way over to fully transparent. If you really, if you rely on trust, then go ahead and expect that your team will start formulating opinions like the ones we used earlier. I guarantee it. Follow my advice. I suggest that every level within this process be fully visible to the entire organization and solicit feedback from them periodically to see if there are any improvement areas in which make it fairer or more equitable for every employee. Now, following my friend's scaled approach, you could indeed slide the transparency back towards trust over time as your team have seen and trust that the process is fair and equitable to every employee. 
They trust that you will objectively follow the agreed-upon process for all subsequent award nominations. However, why slide it back towards trust? Some may say that in order to maintain transparency, it takes additional work. Well, that may be true. However, I believe that the benefits abundantly outweigh the cost. Why? Because every time we introduce a new member to the team, in theory, we should slide the scale back as the team inevitably revisits the team building process with new team members. So, I say, leave it wide open. Yes, I know this was an easy example, but I believe that it gives you a good idea of how you can choose to move from transparency to trust and vice versa. How about when it comes to you at the personal level and how it pertains to your leadership abilities and effectiveness? What level of transparency should leaders lead with? These are questions I often receive at my leadership presentations. I say lead with a level of transparency that you are comfortable with until you've had the chance to establish a better rapport and relationships with your team. Do not want to seem robotic as a leader, but you also may not be comfortable sharing your entire life story yet. Oh wait, I just remembered. Seems like we talked about this already. (laughs) Yes, we did when I discussed our scars. See, all come in full circle now. Real talk, leaders own their mistakes. I find it incredibly helpful when I share my story with people. Now, I do not share it when I first meet the team, but over time I share more and more as they get more and more comfortable with me. It is important for those that we lead to understand that we are human too. It also helps tear down those invisible barriers that mysteriously exist in most organizations between the leaders and their teams. If you want to connect with your team, you must be transparent. When you make a mistake, own it. Do not blame it on anything. Nothing at all. Just own it. Key takeaways. Leadership is not easy, but you can reach your maximum potential by following my simple formula of authenticity plus vulnerability plus transparency equals credibility. Now, we did not discuss credibility because I'm positive that you are fully up to speed on what credibility is and means as a leader. We cannot afford to lose our credibility, and this chapter was all about how to build impenetrable credibility. We must care about our teams at the personal level, be willing to share who we really are to our teams, and to be transparent with them to build an infallible trust, which leads to a credible leader that anyone will follow. Time for another quick self-assessment. Where are you regarding what we covered here? You do not have to know exactly where you are before moving on to the next waypoint. However, you will need to know before you can hope to move on and move the needle on your leadership potential and or effectiveness. Be an authentic person and leader with passion, trust, and care about those you lead. Have the courage to be vulnerable. Be transparent in your leadership. Reflective questions. Are you authentic and how can you prove it? Are you vulnerable? In what ways are you transparent in your endeavors? Grab a quick five-minute break, but let us stay on the trail and prepare for the next waypoint. We will be discussing why it is important to have an attitude of gratitude and a special appearance and wisdom from another legend on how to be happy when you're not happy with your situation. Let me level with you. Sometimes as leaders, we are not happy with where we are or the team we must lead. Attitude of Gratitude How to be happy when you are not happy in your current situation featuring the legendary leader, my friend, Crystal Harris. If you don't like something, change it. If you can't change it, change your attitude. Maya Angelo. Opening thoughts. How many of us truly are grateful or have an attitude of gratitude? I submit to you that it is not nearly as many as it should be. Most of us go through life looking. We are looking for the quickest, easiest way to the top, an easy fix an instant gratification to obtain the next great gadget or get what the quote-unquote Joneses have. On our journey as leaders, there will be plenty of opportunities. 
Remember, they will look like obstacles, and there will be highs and lows. What keeps you going during those low times? While you may not yet agree, I submit that maintaining an attitude of gratitude will go a long way to ensuring that you do not go too low nor stay there too long. We will focus first on this idea of having and maintaining an attitude of gratitude. Then we'll take an in-depth look at how to use that mindset to be happy when you are not happy with your situation or environment. Think of it like this. First, we will set the stage and then we will walk through a case study using COVID-19 as a backdrop environment. We will also be blessed by the words of my friend, Crystal, as she has a lot of wisdom to share regarding this topic. Attitude of Gratitude As we express our gratitude, we must never forget that the highest appreciation is not to utter words, but to live by them. John F. Kennedy How many of us are truly grateful or have a genuine attitude of gratitude? You may have seen this infographic before, courtesy of Google Images. Obviously, on the audio version, you won't be able to see it, but please refer to the written format and you will be able to see the graphic there. However, I have to say that I agree 100% on what this graphic has to show. Now, you may or may not agree with the infographic, but I encourage you to read between the lines, so to speak, and apply it to the portion or portions of your life that you think suck. How many times have you either said one of these phrases or heard it said and agreed? My guess is that it's probably happened a lot. Nevertheless, our lives are great. Yes, there are times when we go through some hard or bad times, but those are very seldom, and my mess estimation is less than 10% lifelong endurances. Some of the sayings on the infographic that you may not be able to see say, Monday sucks. The weather sucks. Your negative mindset sucks. Stop complaining about what's missing from your life and manifest the crap out of your dreams. You know, sometimes we just go through, and I'm going to explain a little bit about this infographic since you can't see it on the audio version, and just say like, you know, we wake up and say Monday sucks, or this sucks, or that sucks. But really, it doesn't. Many could agree that we all have recently gone through some difficulties, one type or another, and many may have been attributed to COVID-19. And many of us may be tempted to fall into the trap of the quote-unquote, everything sucks. However, I implore you, do not do that. Most of the things in our life we think are horrible simply aren't. Most of the time, we complicate it by trying to face it all on our own, which almost always leads to us interpreting our issues much worse than what they really are. Unfortunately, many times our issues, when faced alone, seem overwhelming to us. Do not enter the dark valley on your own. If you feel yourself slipping into the dark valley, reach out to your family, your friends, heck, even strangers. I've been in the valley before, and that is not somewhere you want to be alone. It will most likely become overwhelming to the point of total despair. I challenge everyone to self-reflect and think about your life and all the great things in it. You may just need a change of your perspective. I have found that many times when we look for the positives in our situations, we tend to find them. And when we can't, we really should talk to our close circle of friends. The circle of friends, more on that later. Because they will be able to see the situation from a whole new perspective. This new perspective may be all you need to refocus on the positives. Then, I want you to be just a little bit vulnerable and share some or all of the positive aspects of your life with those around you. Why? Well, it is sort of what the 35th President of the United States told us to do. Live by your words. Gratitude is also very contagious. And it's free. So what is your excuse for not taking advantage of this free greatness? Applying the Attitude of Gratitude Mindset as previously stated in this section where Crystal and I collaborated on this very topic and used it to inspire people across the globe during the first month that the United States was on lockdown for COVID-19, 
We both had a five-step approach, and they are intermingled throughout this section to allow for flow and understanding. We want to provide advice and inspire those that were out of their normal routines, and many of them for the first time. How do you stay happy or positive during difficult times when you are not happy about what is going on or your conditions? Well, I believe that the following information will really help answer that question and serve as a case study to help you understand the importance of having and maintaining an attitude of gratitude. You must maintain situational awareness. Knowing what you can and cannot control brings freedom to a weary, tired, and unhappy soul. Face it, your situation might suck, but you need to focus on what you can control. My time in the military has taught me a lot in this arena and to just stay calm when it all goes to hell. Orient yourself to the situation at hand and observe everything that is going on. And I mean everything. Calmly assess based on your basic human senses, then and only then should you decide on an action. Look at our current COVID-19 situation. What is going on? What should we or you be doing? And what areas do we control? Knowing what you can control is essential to your happiness and incredibly freeing. When you are free from the worry, dread, and fear of things you cannot control, you are better prepared and energized to focus on those things that you can control. You have the power of choice. We always have a choice on how we respond. What will your choice be? Will you fold under pressure and or unhappiness? Or will you remember your first step that there are some things that you can control? Do not let your mind be stuck in the repeat cycle of worrying about what you do not know and or cannot control. You need to stay in control, and that is purely a choice. Your choice. Do not complain. That is another choice. As an example, how do you typically choose to respond when a driver cuts you off in traffic? Most of us are so easily angered by this, and some even go into a rage. What does that type of choice gain us? Nothing. Nothing but bitterness. Probably because we could not catch up and discuss the infraction, embarrassment, because of how we reacted, or worse, it becomes rage. So something that lasts a mere second or two ends up controlling so much more because of our choice. Choose wisely. Choose to look for the positives in your situation. We already know you cannot control some things, so do not waste your time and emotional capital by focusing on them, but rather focus on those aspects of the situation that can be turned into a positive experience. Our attitudes are critical in situations where we are not happy with our circumstances. Are you making the choice to grow, evolve, and or even share with those around you? Give of your talents by Crystal. I find joy in encouraging, helping, and serving others. I have learned that oftentimes it is the small things that make a huge difference in someone's day. Just going the extra mile to recognize someone for their efforts, a simple thank you, or paying them a compliment are things that cost nothing, yet mean so much and always puts a smile on someone's face. Giving of your talents show compassion, appreciation, and a sense of community. What is your talent? How can we merge our talents for a bigger cause? Since the transition to our new normal, I've been touched seeing how others have selfishly given of their talents, from making masks for those who are on the front lines to donating food supplies and hosting virtual DJ parties to lift spirits. I'm reminded of the good that has come from this and how common interests can still bring people together in unique ways during an unconventional time. Sharing your knowledge and skill sets makes everyone better. It creates bonds, fosters teamwork, collaboration, and it can have a positive influence on others. I encourage you, no matter how small you feel your gift is, to share it with someone else. It is important, and it could be something they will never forget. Your attitude determines your altitude, by Crystal. Your thoughts become your reality. How you think about things can determine the outcome, so remember to be mindful of this. Are you feeling defeated, anxious, and afraid? 
You are strong, courageous, and built for this. The mind is powerful and you are resilient. I know that you have what it takes to get through this. Instead of focusing on what you are not able to do now or how your plans have been derailed, I challenge you to remain flexible. Focus on what you can control and what you can change. We are a family, and in our village, we take care of not only ourselves, but also each other. You can change your outlook, who you associate with, your words, your efforts, your actions, and the way you treat others. Are you hanging with positive people who motivate and push you, or negative people who complain all the time? I am fortunate to be a part of a team that rises to the occasion to get the job done. Change brings about a shift, a transformation that is inevitable. Change is good. Change is progress. How are you growing through this? This is a time for new beginnings, new routines, honing new strengths, and remembering what is important to you. Attitude of Gratitude When we have and practice an attitude of gratitude, it provides a proper perspective for any situation that we may be facing. Listen, I know that it may seem mushy and maybe even like make-believe. However, when you have been through the things that I've been through, it is real. We always have something to be grateful for. You must figure out what that is and hold on to it. Start with the obvious and simple ones. Am I breathing? Yes. Great. Now move on to the next one. Make a list even if that helps you. I know it does not change the fact that you're current of your current situation. However, it will help you to process the circumstances in your situation in a more positive and productive manner. Some people do not like the following quote, but it sheds light on some attitudes. I cried because I had no shoes until I met a man who had no feet. Helen Keller I've never just loved this quote, mostly because even after you meet a footless guy, you still do not have any shoes, and the fact that someone is enduring a greater trial than the one you are facing does not remove your trial. However, we must take time to fully analyze it. For one, Helen Keller wrote it, so it must be full of wisdom. And secondly, because it highlights that we all, we're all going through or have gone through something that is less than desirable. Take Care of Yourself by Crystal Taking care of yourself is vital. Prior to the recent change, I'm sure that, like me, many of you were also caught up in the daily hustle and grind of life, sometimes at the expense of taking care of yourself. Know that it is okay to not finish everything that you had planned on your to-do list. Do not beat yourself up. If you had an amazing workout yesterday and today you would rather watch a new movie, you're still taking care of yourself. We all have our days where we need to unplug and recharge. What does that look like for you? When times get tough, where do you find your strength? Take the time to recognize when you are not your best. It is not a sign of weakness. In fact, dealing with your emotions requires an immense amount of strength and brings forth clarity. Recharging is necessary in order to remain healthy. You cannot take care of others without taking care of yourself first, and resting looks different for everyone. And resetting looks different for everyone. When I'm facing a difficult time, I like to go for a long run, write in my journal, or video chat with my family and friends to ensure that I'm still interacting and connecting socially. Many of us had plans to have certain things completed by this time. Maybe it was a family vacation, your spouse returning home from a deployment, or a graduation. Things are changing, which has caused a shift to how we must do things. This, the COVID-19 countermeasures, is for our safety in order to continue to move forward while flattening the curve. Life is not traditional right now, but that's okay. What was previously considered ordinary has drastically changed. Strength is measured in different ways. Sometimes being strong requires you to adapt and let go of things that you can focus on taking care of yourself. Maintain a good exercise regimen. Keep moving. Exercise makes everything in life a little better. Can exercise? Well, I do not believe it, unless you are literally bound or otherwise incapacitated. Otherwise, we can always move our bodies, provided you are not bound, and elevate our heart rate. 
The serotonin endorphins that are released when we exercise are quote-unquote feel-good chemicals that boost our moods. Now again, this does not mean that all of our problems will suddenly disappear. However, exercise does help us cope better with almost any situation. Do not just take my word for it, though. Many studies have proven that exercise reduces and in some cases can even prevent depression. Can I fully explain this? No. I'm not a doctor or an exercise physiologist. I just know the how I feel and how I feel motivated after a good workout. So when you are unhappy, do not be like most and neglect physical activity. Get up and move. Finding Your Rhythm by Crystal Finding your rhythm and maintaining a routine of incorporating new habits has been extremely helpful for me to ensure that I stay healthy, active, and focused. My routine does not look anything like it did a month or two ago, but I'm okay with that because I am safe. I found that I am intentional about my wellness, getting up and moving. It has challenged me to be better, forced me to be creative, and reminded me to never take the simple things for granted. I have time set up in my routine to ensure I am exercising my mind, body, and spirit. I've also implemented Self-Care Saturday to do something for myself that I have been meaning to do for some time. It could be something as small as giving myself a facial, doing yoga, or making my favorite dish that my mother taught me that reminds me of home. Finding your rhythm brings forth awareness and mindfulness. It can prevent you from focusing on the negative because you are busy creating new and healthy habits. How will you leverage this pause to turn your thoughts into actions? Do something for yourself today that makes you happy. Whether it is getting lost in a book listening to a new podcast, or buying a new game to play. Find joy in shaping new routines, and you may inspire others to join you. It is not permanent. Remember that nothing lasts forever, and this too shall pass. I'm sure you've heard of the saying, tough times don't last, but tough people do. You must be tough and have the courage to fight on. What will you be left with when this is over? Did you learn anything, or did you focus on all the negatives? I promise you that there is proverbial light at the end of the tunnel. Does it seem non-existent? probably, at least at first. Just keep moving forward and stop looking backwards. Looking backwards is foolish and dangerous. You are just staying in an emotional spiral. Keep moving forward. Mentally, just one foot in front of the other, inch by inch, and you will pull through. Reach out to someone that can help you remain anchored in your courage, strength, and commitment to stay positive and get through whatever your condition is. You will get through it and will be a stronger person because of it. Set goals and crush them by Crystal. How will you utilize this time? Will you come out different? Take this time to better yourself. Work on your personal and professional development. If you've been waiting to take an online course, knock out a certification, gain knowledge on how to invest for your future, now is the time to do those things. Think of what self-improvement looks like for you, your family, and your teams. Set goals and crush them. Goals are a representation of what matters to you and the sense of accomplishment you receive when achieving them pushes you to continue to challenge yourself. They do not have to be complicated or boring. They can be simple. This is your time to demonstrate how you will dominate the things within your control. I hope that you realize your grit and take away different perspective in how you view things. Embrace the beauty there is in change and continue to grow and learn. Stay strong, stay safe, stay encouraged. Key takeaways. Wow, that was a lot to consume. However, I believe that the material was easy to listen to and to understand and that will help you apply it to your everyday life. Remember that having and maintaining an attitude of gratitude is a choice, your choice. Yes, there will be some difficult times, assignments, jobs, location, people, and so on. But you, as a leader, cannot afford to approach these tough situations without gratitude. We are all lifelong learners, and we must be thankful for the opportunity to lead and grow. Also, take it from me. It really could be worse. 
in most cases. And without my family and friends, my close friends, I am not sure I would have made it out of some of my situations. Keep a close circle of great friends that you trust to ensure you hold on to that attitude of gratitude. Live and lead with an attitude of gratitude by giving of your talents. Your attitude determines your altitude. Take care of yourself. Find your rhythm. Set goals and crush them. Maintain your situational awareness. You have the power of choice. Maintain a good exercise regimen. Nothing is permanent in this life. Reflective questions. How do you live and lead with an attitude of gratitude? What do you have that will hold you accountable when you are not being grateful? Now that we are all operating on a full tank of gratitude, let us prepare ourselves to talk about that close circle of friends. Before we head out, though, take a rest and get ready for the next leg of our journey towards our ensuing waypoint of mentorship and your circle of influence. It is important that we recognize we can go the journey alone. However, we will not be able to go nearly as far or have nearly the impact if we do not invite those who we trust to walk along and help us. Circle of Influence and Mentorship. Find those to walk the journey with you. Featuring my good friend and legend, Nina Choi Romiller, on mentorship. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. African proverb. Opening thoughts. Theory of five. Now, I do not know which camp you are in. We are or are not heavily influenced by the five closest people. And it is okay with whatever camp you are in because I really want to attack this from the perspective of what type of influencer you are. As we attack it that way, I believe that you will in turn assess those that have influence over you, whether they are the closest five or the distant 5,000. No matter how you look at it, we can and are all influenced by something and or someone, and we can and do influence those around us. Real talk. Leaders influence those around them. I would like to take us through the five following people or personality types and let you determine if you are one of those types of people. If you are not, then I would be happy to talk to you about how you can become one. Just hit me up and let me know that you are interested, and we can set up a discussion or just push through the rest of this book. Again, it is irrelevant if you agree with the average of fives, but rather more about how the following types of people can be an incredible positive influence, and that is what I want each one of us to be, a positive influence. Are you perceived as any or all of the following? I want you to look to your left and your right, across your entire circle, and determine if you are receiving good and positive influence. If not, do you remember a time that you were? And what types of people were in your circle then? It may be time for a change. Then, I want you to assess how you are influencing within all other circles that you are in. Are you one of these five? The inspired. These people have two core beliefs. They believe in themselves and they believe in others. Behind those beliefs is a lot of hard work. When they speak of ambitions, it is with great passion, optimism, and enthusiasm. When backed into a corner or seemingly impossible situation, the inspiring person will find a way out. They'll find a way out of that situation. The inspired will also inspire you. The inspired have a driving force inside them that is fueled by their core values and their why. The motivated. These people can do what needs to be done without influence from other people or situations. People with self-motivation can find a reason and strength to complete a task, even when challenging, without giving up or needing to be encouraged. You need these types of people in your circle because you will undoubtedly be influenced and inspired by their motivation. The open-minded. These people will have the willingness to actively search for evidence against their own favored beliefs, plans, or goals, and to weigh that evidence fairly when it is available. Being open-minded does not imply that they are indecisive or incapable of thinking for themselves. 
It just means that they are open to other ideas, and they will help you overcome your own blind spots. The passionate. These people's passion is contagious. It's hard to be around a fiery person and not get caught up in their excitement, even if it is about something that you have never been interested in. Passionate people live every day with anticipation of great things, and they will be able to show you how to be passionate about those things you love and find important. The grateful. These people do not expect that life is going to give them everything they want or even deserve. They realize that good things do not always happen to good people, and they have forgotten the notion that life owes them anything. This type of person understands that humans should never expect anything for free and that being alive is something to be very grateful for. Now, assess how you are influencing within all your circles. Are you one of these five? Are you present in your interactions? Analyze your intentions through a presence versus proximity lens. Many people are close, proximity, to those around them, but they are not present in their interactions. They are just going through the motions. The previous theory, proximity, is mechanized leadership or described as disconnected. I know that none of you listening to this right now want to be that type of person or leader. Focus on being a positive influence and getting away from negative people. You do not need negativity in your life. Trust me. Real talk. Leaders must be present. I hope that as we discuss this three of five, you have been able to take a moment and reflect on your circle. Are they for you? Do they push you? Not in front of a bus, but to be better. Listen, the world is packed full of haters, and you do not need that. Do not go to the comment section on social media and put those people with nasty responses in your circle. Weird? Well, look around your circle. Yes, that is exactly what I thought. Some can go, can't they? As we continue on our trail here, I believe as we discuss our circle, we cannot help but to also discuss mentorship. And I did tell you to get one of those, a mentor, which will help you reach your peak performance. I had the opportunity to sit down with my friend Nina a few months back and discuss mentorship and what that really means, since I believe we get it wrong all of the time. I often tell other airmen that if I took all the EPRs and OPRs for our civilian audience, our annual evaluation reports, and added up all the quote-unquote mentored bullets, the narratives of our OPRs and EPRs, then we would not have any personal development issues because everyone, theoretically, has been mentored. Paper tigers. More on that in a little bit. Enough pausing on the trail. Let's move out. Coaching versus mentoring. Featuring my friend Nina. What is a mentor? To me, a mentor is someone that is confident someone that can give you professional advice, typically career-oriented, that can help you become a better leader in your chosen profession. Two, I typically advise my staff to find a mentor that is two levels above their current situation. That way you are getting a much broader and high-level view and someone that has a bit more life experience to impart. Number three, I've had many people and many leaders that I have learned from in my career, but only a few that I would consider to be true mentors to me. Those are the ones that I continue to have a relationship with And that relationship continues to grow and evolve, kind of like a good friend that you have for a lifetime. Four, as a leader, it's a misnomer if you think you are a mentor to those below you or your direct reports. You may be coaching them, but there's a huge difference between coaching and mentoring. Five, the relationship with a mentor is a two-way street, whereas coaching is more of a downward type of relationship. As a leader and mentor, I know the relationship with someone that I have been coaching has graduated to the next step when they begin to impart knowledge on me as well. Number six, a mentor is typically not someone in your chain of command or chain of supervision. For me, a mentor is rarely your direct supervisor. You may develop a mentorship relationship with someone who used to be your supervisor, but while you are both in the same chain, it is typically not quite a true mentorship relationship. It's more of a coaching type relationship. How do we nurture mentorship and mentorship relationships? Often we tell our people to go find a mentor, but that is easier said than done. 
Very often, younger staff or airmen will be, one, hesitant to approach someone to ask them if they will act as a mentor because of the intimidation factor. Two, they often may not have life experience to seek out a good mentor. You do not know what you do not know. Number three, one of the obligations that we have as leaders is to make sure that we make ourselves available to our people. It is a challenge because it is ingrained in our leadership structure to not, quote unquote, skip your chain of command. We may see ourselves as being available, but younger staff or troops do not necessarily see it that way. Four, we need to make it a priority to continue to communicate with our staff or troops, our support for mentorship and other availability, or create avenues for interactions with leaders with our staff and troops. One of the things that we are instituting in our organization is quote-unquote leadership brownbacks, where we have an open forum with a chosen leadership topic that our leaders in our organization speak on. This creates transparency through staff and troops being able to ask questions and our leadership team addressing them. This also gives our staff and troops insight into the leadership styles and philosophies of the different members of our leadership team and the opportunity to approach them. Five, we need to keep an eye out for talent and make sure that we reach out to those promising staff or troops and match them up with or put them in touch with other leaders. We do need to make sure that we are not creating a perceived environment of favoritism, however, where it appears that we are cherry-picking our successors. Six, one of the things I do is to keep other leaders on my circle, people who I respect and trust. I will often encourage my staff to obtain other leadership perspectives and will put them in touch with other leaders in my circle. Nina did an excellent job of identifying the key components of choosing a mentor, and then she instructed us on how we should go about nurturing that mentor and mentee relationship. Now, she provided this from more of a, you are the mentor. However, I know that we can gain a lot from her perspective when it comes to not only choosing our own mentors, but also on how to be a better mentor ourselves. I also believe that many times we are in more of a coaching relationship that never develops into a mentorship, especially in our Air Force. There are a few reasons as why that happens, but the bottom line is for you to not let that happen in your circles. Key takeaways. Strengthen your circle and find those to go the journey with you. The theory of five, the inspired the motivated, the open-minded, the passionate, the grateful. How to choose a mentor needs to be trustworthy, a step or two above where you want to be. Does not have to be in your organization. Reflective questions. What five are in your circle? What do you see as a difference between coaching and mentoring? Well, that does it for this leg of the journey, and it is time to hit the next waypoint, which is dealing with toxic behavior to include halting rumors. Get ready for a treacherous part of the trail, as this waypoint is full of pitfalls that we must avoid, or at least be aware of, as leaders, especially since all our organizations have them. I will use a case study with one of my colleagues in order to set up the discussion stage for us. Addressing toxic behavior, including halting rumors and gossip. It's amazing how quickly things can turn around when you remove toxic people from your life. Robert Tew. Opening thoughts. Even though it's not routinely discussed, well, actually it is discussed all the time but without context. I'm sure that you've heard these terms, toxicity, toxic leadership, and maybe even toxic followership used before, but we're likely wondering what toxic leadership really is. At this waypoint, we will get down in the weeds with toxic leadership, since this is a book about leadership after all, and I will point out toxic followership. It's a toxic behavior in the last section and go through a case study. We will wrap the chapter up with a case study on rumors and gossip. This cancer has been in almost every organization that I've been in, at least initially when I arrived, and I'm sure that you can relate. Even if you cannot relate, I'm positive that they are occurring in your organization right now. They just may not be a level visible to you yet. 
We will break into a case study because I think it will help you better grasp the main point I'm trying to make and provide you with the tools along the way on how to halt them. All of this at the same time, I want you to analyze how you may be toxic leader or a follower yourself. Toxic leadership. Face it, toxic leaders exist in every facet of the leadership realm and in almost every organization on earth. They range across a full spectrum of positions from frontline supervisors to commanders in the military to chief executive officers and everything in between. Honestly, all the way to the pinnacle of our society. However, we will keep our focus on the organizational level and below. Everyone must recognize and challenge toxic leadership because it goes against every fiber of true leadership values, destabilizes good order and discipline, corrupts the organization from the inside out, and is in opposition to a healthy organizational climate. What does toxic leadership look like, though? Toxic leadership comes in many forms, and while some people are clearly toxic leaders, others walk a fine line between directive style and being toxic. These are recognizable, however, they are often most difficult to address or remove because they hover so close to the, well, it's within my limits or authority. On one hand, there is the exaggerated, egotistical, tyrannical leader who threatens, controls, and will never admit their faults. On the other hand, there is a frontline supervisor who does not encourage their teammates to reach their full potential. And the supervisor simply does not create an environment where their team feels like they can or even want to contribute to the overall task objectives. Some people are overly directive, aggressive, or maybe even be obsessive-compulsive, which makes them susceptible to demonstrating toxic leadership behaviors, especially when they are in the position of a power or authority, in my experience. Regrettably, these types of leaders act and make decisions to benefit themselves or those who they feel measure up, not the betterment or fulfillment of their entire team. Most toxic leaders are disrespectful to those they lead, and they ensure they create a negative environment of manipulation and fear to keep those under their authority, quote unquote, in line or wherever they want them to be. Real talk, leaders are not egotistical. Many times to an outsider, one who is not in the organization, a work center ruled by a toxic leader may appear to be effective simply because tasks or missions are completed and deadlines met. However, in the long term, toxic leadership rots away the discipline, purpose, and motivation of our greatest resource, the people that power our organizations. This will undoubtedly place the organization's goals and mission success in jeopardy, and more importantly, it hurts our people. Under toxic leadership, people do not complete tasks because they are empowered, motivated, or inspired to. They complete the task, albeit at a much lower quality and efficiency, because that is what they are told to do and because they fear being ostracized or retaliated against if they do not comply. Most of the time, toxic leaders do not perceive themselves as a problem. In their eyes, their behavior is perfectly acceptable and is everyone else's fault. Leaders, get out in your organizations and check the pulse. What are the people saying? What are they not saying? What should we do if we work for a toxic leader? Unfortunately, there is not a clear go-to answer because every situation is different. However, there are a few options available to you. You can confront the toxic leader directly, and honestly, this should be your first option. However, it may be extremely difficult to address the individual directly, especially if you are junior in rank or position to the toxic leader. In this situation, you should seek guidance and or support from your organization's hierarchy. In the military, we refer to this as the chain of command. And start at the lowest possible level. You should also document your situation and provide feedback to your organization's applicable feedback or anonymous comment system. However, keep in mind that you must be specific so that your organization at the applicable level will be able to pinpoint and engage the individual exhibiting toxic behaviors. Whatever option you choose, it is vitally important to communicate clearly and instantly about the issue. Do not let it brew out of control. Real talk. 
Leaders step up and address toxic behavior. Working for a toxic leader can be unbearable considering the power and authority they have over you. Nevertheless, confronting the toxic leader directly about their behaviors or reporting the problem to your organization's agency or process for this type of complaint can be downright paralyzing. It requires courage. Given this reality, many simply choose to endure the toxic environment rather than step up and address it. They just think that they should keep their head down and push through the toxicity. What these same individuals do not realize is that others will follow their example and be victim to the same horrible situation and toxicity. If we do not step up and confront toxic leadership, we cannot expect the environment and the organizational climate to improve. And even worse, there's a high probability that more people will suffer even worse. Stepping forward will undoubtedly inspire others to step up and speak out too. Change often begins with the courage and determination of one person, one leader. How you can be the change. Coaching and mentorship at every level is critical. We can eliminate toxic leadership within our organization by seizing the opportunity to step up and help create a healthy working environment. Even though stepping up and taking a stand will most likely require you to break out of your comfort zone, we simply cannot and will not tolerate, condone, or ignore toxic behavior. As leaders, we will create an environment of accountability, dignity, and respect that rejects leading by fear and manipulation. We also know that people can be toxic followers, and we will not tolerate that either. Eliminating all toxic behavior from our organizations contributes to a simple yet vital goal of treating all people fairly and valued for who they are. Regardless of wherever we are in our careers, we must look in the mirror, evaluate ourselves, and honestly ask, am I exhibiting toxic behavior? We will promote an organizational culture where people can thrive, feel respected for who they are, and are valued for their contributions to our shared goal and mission. This is so incredibly vital to us being successful in promoting growth, creating safe environments for our people, and shaping future leaders. Toxic followers. I want to mention briefly toxic followership, especially since I am talking to leaders. We are all followers, regardless of our leadership positions, and just may come across as a toxic follower. These are people that range from those that covertly plant the seeds of doubt with others, to include your boss, regarding your questionable leadership practices, all the way to those that will absolutely try everything in their power to sabotage you. Always keep it professional and remain transparent. Remember, we talked about that already, so that others will know when someone is up to no good and trying to drag your name through the dirt. I really do not want you to be overly worried about toxic followers. Yes, they do exist, and you will probably even have them on your team. But I am fully confident that if you are following my advice, you will be okay. Remember, just keep everything you do above reproach and build a close circle of those that will help guide you in the right direction. I believe another way to highlight some of what I'm talking about here is to run you through a case study I did, Halting Rumors and Gossip, which was one of my colleagues brought to me. Halting Rumors and Gossip, a case study. A case study from April 2020. Let us talk about rumors in our organizations and what you and maybe even some of your employees and or subordinate managers and leaders may be dealing with. I will remind us all what gossip does to our organizations, but more importantly, how it affects the people that power our organizations. Not that an explanation is needed, but it does not hurt to level the bubbles on this. Then I will run us through a scenario that was shared by one of my former colleagues as a baseline to discuss how we can approach rumors in our organizations. Sometimes it's just water cooler chit chat, but it can quickly become a problem, a real problem. We must ensure that our policies regarding this are clearly communicated and well known across our organizations. Are you doing your part? If not, start. This is critical because while we want our employees to all have fun and build camaraderie amongst one another, I know that you would all agree with me and want it to be professional. We want everyone to know when chit-chat is becoming gossip. Now, 
For the reminder of what rumors do to organizations. One, decline trust and morale. The foundation starts to crumble. Two, work productivity goes down because people are emotionally caught up in the drama. Three, anxiety and tension levels are unbearably high as rumors circulate. Four, fear, self-preservation, and actions increase. People walk on eggshells without knowing what is and is not fact. Five, divisiveness as people take sides. Six, unexpected turnover and loss of good talent. They leave because of the toxic environment. Let's look at our scenario to set the stage for our discussion and establish a baseline strategy for how we can approach rumors in our organizations. This scenario is from a mid-level manager. My former colleague writes, footnote, some names and other identifying data were removed to protect the privacy of others. He writes, Caleb, in my case, it's a manager that is creating the rumor and is trickling down to the employees that are already on edge due to the fact of uncertainty during this time. I feel that yes, we are uncertain about what is happening, but someone in a leadership role needs to remain calm for their employees. He goes on to say, it's just a rumor that she started. She has been at home for several weeks working from home and I think being at home has made her mind run crazy with ideas. Many of our inspectors that we supervise are older than 50 and do not know how our department generates money and are very gullible. We deal with utility project permits and generate money for the city. The city just furloughed 270 positions with data mask and data mask. But those positions are paid with the city tourism tax and no one traveling, no money is coming in for those positions. City employees see that and assume they are next. She's the type of person that always must have some type of gossip. I asked him a series of questions and we went back and forth to really help him dig in and solve his issue. But he did say the following earlier on. He says, I wouldn't lose my job about bringing this up and I have no problem confronting the issue with our head manager. I just see a lot of people that go through the same situation with rumors in the workplace. Well, friend, I agree with you and I believe that we do have a lot of toxicity amongst our leader and management ranks. I believe what our friend is describing here is unfortunately the typical work center in the U.S. It is mind-boggling that CEOs, HRs, and etc. continue to hire managers that are good on paper versus actual leadership talent. See, most of these hiring authorities look at their resume and see all the attractive metrics and accomplishments and think, wow, they will be great for our organization. However, what they fail to see is that they are just paper tigers, just like what we have in the military. And I know that if you have served, doesn't matter which branch, you have seen them. Honestly, this behavior spreads across all facets of human life. Real talk. Leaders ensure that everyone is treated with dignity and respect. Then, when you introduce rumors, there is such a hierarchy of fear established by the paper tiger manager cabal that employees are afraid to bring anything up. They've been normalized to this chaotic type of management. The bottom line on this is there are those that look good on paper but cannot lead their way out of a wet paper bag, and they make it incredibly difficult for everyone else, especially in these situations. This breaks my heart. We must treat humans like humans. These are the same managers that squander their opportunity to provide training and inspiration to the team. However, they poke fun at seminars that promote a quote-unquote safe and healthy work environment. And they say things like, that is so stupid. We don't know to go, need to go sit in some seminar and get all mushy. What do you want to do? Sit around and sing Kumbaya? We don't need that crap around here. Next, you'll be thinking of how we should care about those feelings. Ha <laughs> ha, bunch of babies. And I know you can't afford to lose your job, so leave your feelings and ideas at the door. We have work to do. And that stuff is a waste of time. These types of bosses are toxic. And there's just no way around that. Toxic people must be dealt with immediately. We need leaders to step up and address these types of situations. Is it easy? No. It takes courage and tact, especially depending on the level where the issue lives. To address things like this, however, 
If you find it a bit challenging, just think about those that you're doing it for. Listen, being a leader takes courage. If you do not have courage, then I really need you to evaluate why you, or anyone else for that matter, would call you a leader. Now, to the problem and topic at hand. As you've heard me say before, I'm a believer in the rule of five. So I'll follow with five ways which I believe a leader can address a toxic boss and or manager, and in this case, a rumor mill from the mid-level manager. One, leaders must thoroughly think through everything. Ready, aim, fire. Assess, adjust, and re-attack if required. Also, recruit a trusted spotter, also known as a mentor, to help. None of us have all the answers. Know that we are stronger together, and sometimes it helps to have a perspective that is outside the organization. Two, objective. Halt the rumorville. Three, the target is the boss or the manager. Four, plan of attack, five rounds. Five rounds. Observe, orient the situation, which is the ready portion. Develop the plan of attack, which is the aim portion. Engage the target, which is the fire portion. Target assessment, did it work? That's the assess portion. Adjust fire, re-attack if required. Observe and orient to the situation. Ready. Separate all, as much as possible, emotion from the situation and just go on the facts. We do not want to misread the situation and plan our avenue of approach on bad information or perceptions. You also want to fully understand your position regarding the level of responsibility that you hold in the organization. Do you have the responsibility to other people? Do you lead these people, section, office, supervisor, etc.? You need to analyze the potential second and third order effects of your actions and how they may affect those in the current situation. Develop the plan of attack. Aim. Is this person that must be halted a narcissist? In my experience, most are. Can you just kick in the door, throw in the flashbang, and just aggressively address the offender directly with emotional response? Sure. But that is probably not going to work. And even if it does, it is not how you want to try to solve this problem. This problem requires a solution that is precise and well-planned. Therefore, you need to carefully analyze the best approach. Does this person overreact to anything that they do not agree with? You may need to take actions to shield the others to prevent this person from thinking that this is a mutiny for obvious reasons. You are the leader here. You must be okay with sacrifice, self-sacrifice. You will want this engagement conversation to occur on a neutral ground. Use your previous interactions and those interactions that others have had with this individual to formulate the plan of attack with the highest probability of success. Now, any good leader has more than one plan, and this situation is one that calls for more than one plan. Otherwise, how will you re-attack if required? Everyone has a boss, so that may be your second course of action. And then there is HR. Does your organization's HR department have complaints division? If so, that may be your third course of action. In my experience, the most direct route to the target is the best, so I advise that as your primary course of action. Engage the target. Fire. First off, this is more of a clandestine mission. You're not doing this for praise, so keep this low-key. This is a badge of honor that leaders wear. We do as much as possible behind the scenes. This will take courage, but you must stand up to the lead offender and address them one-on-one in a neutral and more private room or office so others cannot overhear. We do not want the power another rumorville. The objective here is not to completely overwhelm this person. You want to tactfully demonstrate with specific examples how their behavior is affecting and disrupting the work environment and causing both stress and fear to elevate beyond manageable levels for employees. In my experience, this has about a 65% effective rate. Just know, this is a step most people get stumped on. Most can ready and aim, but they cannot fire. Don't compromise on your values. Take a stand. Also, take good notes. You may need them for your second and third courses of action. Target assessment. Did it work? Assess. Like I stated, 
The approach up to this point has an approximate of about a 65% effective rate. I will address ineffective fire in the next step. Observe the offender's actions and words. You may need to give this a couple of weeks, and it's up to you if you want to check back in and remind the offender if you do not see corrective actions. Did they change? How are the employees responding? If it worked, great. Now you need to return to the offender and give them some praise for demonstrating courage and compassion of their own. Let's face it, it is hard for most of us to admit we are wrong and then actually take steps to correct the past behavior. I also recommend planting seeds of approval and praise amongst employees, like, as an example, man, the boss has really made a positive change and turn for us. At no time will you ever take credit for your part in this change. Remember how leaders act in this situation. We are the quiet professionals. There are plenty of times for leaders to cheerlead and beat their chest to motivate and inspire. This is just not one of them. Adjust fire. Re-attack if required. Based on statistics, some of you will have to re-attack. The offender has a boss too, so I suggest that we implement that course of action. I would recommend that there be a couple of weeks or so, depending on how serious the offense is, before you engage with senior management on this. Just as before, you will need to ensure you separate all emotion and gather all your facts. It is critical to be organized and well-informed prior to engaging in a conversation with the senior levels of management and or leadership. You will want to establish a meeting time, probably with their executive assistant, and ensure that you are not quibbling when you address the situation with them. You want to use facts and share with them how you have arrived at this point, share your plans, notes, and etc., so they know that you have not whimsically come to them without first trying to address it at the lowest level. It will also show senior management that you can be trusted and that you have good character trying to solve this as a leader would. Highly unlikely, but in the event it is required, the senior management just brushes this off kind of thing, you will have to engage with HR department. Lastly, we never want to leave the battlefield without a victory. However, sometimes we must accept those things which we cannot change, and even those things which we cannot even influence towards change and move on. You deserve to work for an organization that treats each other with dignity and respect. But wait, there's more. Obviously, what we just discussed was a scenario to help us address and halt rumors when we are not the ones in charge or at least when we are not responsible for the leadership of those that are the ones starting and feeding the rumors. Now, we should discuss what I started at the very beginning and address how we have a responsibility as leaders to set the conditions for a safe work environment and promote positive culture. We have the responsibility to create a safe environment where our employees can thrive and grow. You will schedule that seminar. You will schedule the extra soft skills training. Why? Because it is important and it will set the tone that you will not tolerate any deviation from this and anyone and everyone is encouraged to immediately address and elevate concerns. So let's take that same rule of five approach. Zero tolerance. Enact zero tolerance policies on workplace gossip and any unprofessional behavior. I understand that numerous organizations protect their employees from divulging confidential information to others. However, if your organization does not have this policy, please take care of that ASAP and create one. As an example, if a manager or supervisor discloses confidential information that leads to workplace gossip about an employee, that manager or supervisor faces the risk of disciplinary action and or even employment termination. Legends, you must meet with your teams and reiterate, better yet, have them reiterate the organization's policy on the topic. As another example, bring up the topic of gossip in a team meeting and see how they handle the topic. Do they roll their eyes, laugh, or do they get serious and echo your organization's policy and their perspective on the topic. If not, then it's time to re-educate your team on the policy and the negative consequences of gossiping. Be the example. Be a good role model for others to follow and never engage in gossip. Be assertive. Never walk away from gossip. You must stop it immediately. Reiterate to all around that were partaking in or heard the gossip that gossip is not tolerated and then consider bringing it up in your next team or staff meeting to have your office or division leads, however your organization is structured, 
re-engage with everyone down to the lowest level. Address the perpetrators. This is really a repeat fire from our number three step above and what we discussed earlier. You must stand up to the lead offender or offenders and address them one-on-one in a private setting, office, so others cannot overhear. We don't want to power another rumor mill, remember? The boss really let John have it kind of thing. We don't want to start that. The objective here is to not completely overwhelm this person, but to tactfully demonstrate with specific examples how their behavior is affecting and disrupting the work environment and causing both stress and fear to elevate beyond acceptable levels for employees. Furthermore, how their actions are not in alignment with company or organizational policies and that you take these infractions very seriously. Encourage information and positive stories. Work to create a culture where people are encouraged to share their positive stories about work, customers, and culture. Think of specific examples where peers, supervisors, managers, and senior-level leaders in the organization can communicate both horizontally and laterally what they feel proud about at work. An example would be an employee going above and beyond in serving a customer and or a senior executive sharing the story organization-wide and through social media outlets not only to brag on the specific employee but also to cement a positive culture. I encourage all leaders to find meaningful ways to share these types of positive stories during morning huddles to reinforce the cultural values and key behaviors you and the organization requires. Keep private, private. Unless it is necessary, the rule of thumb is plain and simple. Do not trust personal information with anyone at work that will be a fodder for gossip. If you ever have a doubt about the necessity of sharing this information, speak to HR or your chain of command. Probably where this type of personal information would be used anyway. Before sharing anything. In my 19 years of experience in leadership and management, there is yet to be a time where this was required. Key takeaways. Wow. Man, there was a lot in that chapter or waypoint, right? Leaders, I know that was a lot to consume. Understand and try to apply. But I know that you get it. And I know this just how important this is to all of us. We must remember that we are both followers and leaders at the same time and that we are responsible to those above and below us in the chain of command. We cannot take a break and sit on the sidelines especially not when there is some type of toxicity going on. Toxicity, rumors, and gossip are all cancers that will absolutely destroy people and organizations, and we must have the courage to stand up and speak out. Be the change, legends. Recognize toxic behavior. Communicate with your trusted peers and superiors. Choose a plan of attack. Stand up and speak out against toxicity. Halt rumors and gossip. Be the example and change for your organization. Reflective questions. Is there toxicity in your organization? If there is toxicity in your organization, what are you doing to address it? How are you the example of what right looks like? Let us press on to the next waypoint, which is crucial conversations. Listening. Yeah, who does that anymore? To include, yes, the other taboo F word. You guessed it. We'll talk about feedback because regardless of your position, profession, or beliefs, we all have crucial conversations that we screw up a lot. And we all need feedback, but so rarely get it. Tighten your pack straps. This part of the trail may become a bit remote. Crucial Conversations, with emphasis on listening and feedback. Contribution from George Nichols and Leslie Backus. Speak when you are angry, and you will make the best speech you will ever regret. Ambrose Bierce. Opening Thoughts. Leaders must communicate effectively in order to lead effectively. So many times our communications are sabotaged by our feelings, assumptions, or speculations, and the fact that we all humans do not have the best record of truly listening. We really miss the target on effective communication when we think that we know what is going on in each situation without verifying, and when we misunderstand the intent and do not return to seek clarification. Everyone is susceptible to this communication trap and must strive to overcome it. Effective listening. When people talk, 
Listen completely. Most people never listen. Ernest Hemingway. Give them your full attention. I know we think we have all the answers and solutions, but let us try to forget that the next time we are talking with someone. They want to be heard, not talked at. Put the phone away. Pull out your common access card and step away from the computer. Look them in the eye and really pay attention to them and what they are saying, not all the other things we have going on. Really, how many times have you done this or have seen someone do this? Have you or have you seen the leader or anyone not step away or even turn from their computer when someone walks in to talk? It is rude to ignore people. So if you do that, stop it. Real talk. Leaders listen. Otherwise, they are not leading. Listen to understand and to learn. Do not just respond to their last comment. Look at conversations as a path to new information and experiences. Do not fake it. Remember, we already talked about all that. Empathy and connection with others only happen when we understand them. So listen to understand. Do not interrupt or reply to everything. I get it. Most leaders genuinely want to help. So it's always tempting to provide our quote-unquote expert opinion when someone is speaking. However, when we jump in to offer our world-renowned advice, we're actually preventing them from fully expressing themselves and solving the problem on their own. Therefore, instead of immediately responding, we need to laser our focus in on what they are saying. We can always provide advice and help later if that is still needed. What is not being said? Sometimes the most important thing in communication is hearing what is not said. Listen for awkward pauses, omissions, and or hesitation. When we do, we'll start to notice things that are not as apparent to others and may be able to help someone. Listen, learn, and then lead. When we focus on the one speaking and listen well, we will be able to engage more deeply with those we are entrusted to lead. Do you want to be a great leader? Well then, you must listen. Really listen to those you lead. Otherwise, you will just be a narcissist who no one follows. Crucial conversations. When we do not completely understand the situation or communication, we will form a story in our heads. We form the story without even really thinking about what we are doing, and we do it because we must make sense of everything to fill in the gaps left by our misunderstanding or miscommunication. These stories are dangerous. They're a dangerous trap because before long we start to rationalize what would otherwise be insignificant events, activities, and behaviors as attributing or validating our stories. As we continue to entertain these stories, our communication with those involved becomes more and more limited and driven by our biases from that story we have formed. This will erode our credibility as leaders because it will be obvious that we only care about or are concerned about our side of the story. Therefore, it must be corrected. As I have stated before, leaders are readers. I recently came across this book titled Crucial Conversations by Patterson, Grinney, Macmillan, and Switzer. This is a really good book and does an excellent job of breaking down the critical segments of crucial conversations, and I encourage you to read it. I believe that it will be as much of a help to you as it was to me. Now, you may be thinking that you really do not have that many crucial conversations, and this section is pointless. Well, I must disagree with you. Every conversation we have, especially with those that we lead, are crucial. I hope that by knowing this, you will be compelled to become a better communicator and take the steps required to enhance your skills. Those you lead deserve it. When you prepare for a conversation, hoping you do prepare, do you think about the potential biases? Do you already know what happened and are just having this conversation to confirm your assumptions? If you do any of these things, you are in jeopardy of tanking the entire conversation. Stop! I do not care if it's a conversation about a multi-million dollar contract or a project that will influence thousands of people or why someone always seems to cut you off in the middle of a conversation or presentation. You owe it to those you lead to pause and think clearly and separate all emotion. Why do we not separate our emotions? Well, it's my perspective that we as humans do not do that because it is difficult, and I cannot think of a time in my upbringing that anyone ever taught me how to separate my emotions. I suspect that you too find yourself in a similar predicament. So, now what? 
We must separate our emotions or otherwise we'll most likely go on to hurt more than feelings. We will damage a relationship. Remember, as leaders, our relationships are vitally important. That is why I ask you to pause on having the conversation. Does it have to happen right this very second? In my experience, most conversations are not that urgent. I'm not the subject matter expert on conversation time requirements, but I'll remind you that I have served in the military for 19 years at the time of this recording, so I would say I have a little of experience. Very few times did a conversation warrant a right now time frame. So just take a second, breathe, and think about why the conversation should take place and what other person may think of the situation. Schedule the conversation and let the other person or persons know what the subject of the conversation will be. Letting the other party know why you are going to have the conversation is so they can mentally prepare. You would not want to be included in a conversation unexpectedly and then be bombarded with accusations and questions. Then, as you are waiting on the scheduled conversation to arrive, you must take a mental inventory of why you want the conversation, what your objective is, who is going to do what and why. Then you must think of all that from their perspective. Eliminate any of the stories, you know, those things we mentioned earlier, and come to the conversation with as much of an open mind as possible. Real talk. Leaders always create time for their teammates. As the conversation approaches and the time has arrived, make sure that the meeting spot is as comfortable and professional as possible. Initiate the conversation with a reason, remember, all emotion removed, just the facts, and set the stage for open communication. Make sure to let the other person or persons know how the conversation will transpire, meaning that you will need to help them understand how you're approaching the conversation by removing all emotion and eliminating any of those stories. Tell them what your heart on the situation is and why you believe that and why the conversation is required. Then ask them what they think the conversation is about and if they have any preconceived stories. Now the conversation is set. Many times as leaders, we'll be walking down a hallway through a work center or office and someone will ask to have a conversation about I don't know, whatever, fill in the blank. In addition, regarding all our too busy schedules, many times the drive-by questions and or requests will pop up on a calendar and seemingly without much warning. My experience has shown me, as my way of saying that I've royally messed up in conversations, that is a trap if we do not ask the desired intent of us as the leader is. Let me explain. When someone starts conversation off, I show them my modeling or eliminate all emotions and stories, focusing on the fact and where our hearts on the situation are and then ask them what they expect or want out of me. Do they want advice? Do they want me to act on some tangible facts towards results? Or do they simply just want me to listen? Take my advice on this and ask the question. The other taboo F word. Dun 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 dun! Feedback. <laughs> I have a little bit of fun with it there. Do you know what your current performance level is or how it is perceived and or assessed in accordance with established standards? Do you even know what the standards are? Do you know what performance ratings or markings you would receive if your performance report were to close out today? Do you have a grade applicable feedback in your files? Do you have an initial, midterm, and follow-up feedback? Do you know where to find out about all of this? The answer is simple. Your supervisor and or boss. If you do not know the answer to these questions listed that I just read to you, you owe it to yourself to discuss them with your supervisor and request the feedback that you deserve. Feedback is not only the formalized process of using your organization's formal process, forms, and then officially documenting feedback and performance. It is an everyday thing. You should not wander about wondering, see what happened there, wandering and wondering, where you stand in comparison to the standards. If you are in the situation, you must communicate with your supervisor immediately. This cannot be about us continuing to repeat the inadequate cycle of feedback that we as supervisors and or leaders may have, probably were, exposed to. We must do better. Supervisors, you should never only provide the minimum feedback required by your organization's rules and coaching for your subordinate. 
The first time you see your subordinate's previous performance records or any of their assessments or other performance records should not be after you receive their EPR shell. Again, for us in the military. Civilian corporations have something similar. This is something you should be discussing in your initial feedback and then periodically throughout the reporting period and the entire time you rate on the member. As leaders, we must take care of our team. We simply do not have an option. We will provide all required feedbacks and truly coach our teammates. Real leaders, yes, that is you, legendary leaders, always receive and provide professional, constructive, and smart feedback. Smart, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time-bound. Thoughts and advice from some of my friends regarding feedback. From Lieutenant Colonel Nichols. Feedback is reciprocal. Hard to give if you are not willing to receive it. We need to be authentic and genuine. Your experiences are biased and do not directly correlate to how they may need to grow. So other perspectives of their performance and actions supports a more well-informed and likely received feedback. Everyone needs rain or sunshine to grow. Till the surface, get to know the airman, plant the seed, set the expectations, watch it sprout, follow up, and cultivate it. Watch them grow. Be willing to listen twice as much as you want to speak. Keep it positive, professional, and to the point. From Technical Sergeant Bacchus at the time, now promoted to Master Sergeant. I would like to hit more on the fact that feedback is not just an ACA, or an Airman Comprehensive Assessment. It is an everyday reinforcement of good behavior and discouraging bad behavior. It is a conversation. It is on the spot. With modern technology, we have drifted away from face-to-face interaction, and it must come back. 93% of communication is nonverbal. In-person communication is so very important. I would also say that growth happens by both parties, supervisor and subordinate. You must be willing to accept feedback no matter who you are and set that example for others to see. Conflict is often why we do not give feedback on the spot, but it is not that bad. Practice makes perfect. Be brave and try it. Key takeaways. Conversations are crucial. All of them. Give them your full attention. Listen to understand. Do not interrupt. What is not being said? Listen, learn, and then lead. Eliminate the stories. Know your heart on the topic or situation. Feedback is key and falls in line with good conversation techniques. Prepare, prepare, prepare. Do not wait. Feedback is continuous. Use facts, not feelings, when determining feedback regarding performance. Feedback is reciprocal. Practice makes perfect, if the practice is perfect. Reflective questions. Do you listen to understand or to respond? Do you provide good feedback as a leader? We are at a good rest spot. Unstrap your pack and take a knee here. We have covered a lot of ground, and I do not want you to run out of steam. Next, we will discuss a commitment to excellence and psychological flexibility. Oh, what's that about? No, I'm not a doctor, remember? But we must be flexible as leaders. Otherwise, we will fall off the trail quickly. Rest, reflect, and then motivate on to the next waypoint. Pursue excellence daily through psychological flexibility. Remember the airman you were back in the day to groom, lead, and develop the airmen of today to become better lethal leaders than you were yesterday. Chief Master Sergeant Lawanda Parker, 28th Force Support Squadron Superintendent. Opening thoughts. Legendary leaders are committed to excellence. What are you committed to? Maybe I'm missing something here, but I'm starting to believe that some among our ranks thinks excellence is a relative term. I have had the amazing opportunity to serve for 19 years in our Air Force and at 24 locations including deployments and extended trips, which has provided me the opportunity to observe countless professionals. However, I must say that throughout many of these observations, I found many who appear to be committed to average, 
committed to mediocre, and even some who were committed to being good, but very few were committed to excellence. Why? Real talk. Leaders pursue excellence daily. I do not believe that excellence is a relative term at all. Furthermore, excellence should and must be an absolute in the profession of arms. We must pursue excellence daily, and I have learned that high-performing teams understand what excellence is and they aggressively pursue it daily as part of their routines and culture. In its most simplistic explanation, excellence is being the best in the world at what you do. Can you guess who powers these types of teams? Yes, that is right. Driven leaders are committed to excellence. I challenge you with the following questions. Are you the best in the Air Force or your organization at your assigned responsibilities? Are you committed to excellence? To me, this is simple and boils down to one thing and one thing only. Are you and your team committed to excellence or will good enough do? I truly believe that most teams are committed to something less than excellent. I do not think that individuals wake up and set out to be mediocre, but unfortunately, that's what ends up happening daily. Happens daily in a lot of different communities, and it happens in our Air Force and across many other organizations. Now, I also believe that responsibility for team excellence rests on the shoulders of leaders. Legendary leaders ensure that excellence begins at the top and trickles its way down to the lowest rank in airmen, military or civilian. Airmen and teams that are committed to excellence outperform everyone else, period. Excellence must start at the top. You see, you need to be honest with yourself. An honest 360 is in order, especially if you are a leader responsible for others. You must start with a commitment to excellence. Excellence is a mentality. A person and or team that is mediocre and stays there is committed to being mediocre. That is why they will not change. They are committed. So, if you, your team, or teammates are not committed to excellence, figure out why and change their mindset. Do you think excellence is a theoretical term? Or do you now agree that excellence is a mindset, a mentality? If you build it into your culture and are committed to it, you and those you lead will see the difference. Yeah, that sounds great and all, but what does it mean? Well, since we all have different responsibilities and duties, it would be extremely difficult to provide a specific analysis for everyone. However, we can provide some generalities and give you a couple of takeaways. Think of it this way. Think about you as a customer. Have you ever received service where you were just like, wow? If you have, I'm sure that you can break it down and determine why you felt that way. We all have a customer. You may not look at it that way, but that is our reality. They may be the typical customer that walks up to your window or your office, or they may be a customer that needs fuel for their aircraft, or our nation as a customer of the defense we provide. Either way, we all have customers, so try and make them feel the wow factor. It requires the extra sacrifice that so few are willing to provide. Be willing and eager to stand out, to be excellent. Psychological flexibility, the real key to leadership. I'm sure that you all, airmen, have heard flexibility is the key to air power, but what does that really mean? In my experience, most people interpret this as a physical sense, i.e. hurry up, then wait, move this over here, no wait, move it over there, and etc. This is deeper than that, and that is what I want us to understand. Our values, our conditions, and our upbringing, everything is in play. I remember seeing an elaborate, complicated, automatic washing machine for automobiles that did a beautiful job of washing them. But it could only do that, and everything else that got into its clutches were treated as if it were an automobile to be washed. I suppose it's tempting if the only tool you have is a hammer to treat everything as if it were a nail. Abraham Maslow. Why is this important? Because I believe and have seen through experience low psychological flexibility can predict the following. Higher anxiety, more depression, poor work, poor work performance, inability to learn, lower quality of life, 
and depression. What is psychological flexibility anyway? A technical definition is the ability to contact the present moment more fully as a conscious human being and to change or persist in behavior when doing so serves valued ends. Biglin, Hayes, and Pisterio, 2008. This means that we need to calmly approach situations and base our actions and decisions on facts and values versus emotions and short-term impulses. But why? Well, our thoughts and emotions tend to be unreliable, and we have such little control over them, and they tend to change often and sometimes dramatically. If we trust our thoughts and emotions and act based on that alone, we can often miss the more important sustained patterns of action based on our own values and truth, which bring true meaning, vitality, and richness to our lives. Our bases are unique and present their own challenges. Weather, unforgiving aircraft that is hard to maintain, and keep flying and aging infrastructure, just to name a few. Now we have yet another challenge, an opportunity to excel, if you remember, with COVID-19. Have you ever noticed how we can become like the conditions we are exposed to? Hard and callous, just like the cold winters, or hot-headed, just like the desert heat? We cannot afford to be that way as humans, as airmen. We must have the psychological flexibility to separate our emotions, thoughts, and conditions from our values and truth. When we respond to each other, we must have the psychological flexibility to show grace to those we are responding to. They are not an aircraft, 75-mile-per-hour wind, negative 345-degree Fahrenheit wind. They are people, and they deserve respect and dignity. Oh, I'm off? Well, why is it that I hear stories all the time that support my point? An airman was served a LOR for our civilian audience, a letter of reprimand. When they were walking out of the commander's office, they heard the commander, the chief, and the shirt, the first sergeant, supervisor, laughing. Really? Even if it was not about the airmen, that leadership team was completely out of touch. A civilian airman was told that they were worthless and served no real purpose. Many are told repeatedly not to be stupid and to keep working. And oh yeah, no more ideas from you. A female airman was told to quit holding her quote-unquote sessions. She had organized a group for females in her unit to share their experiences on how to deal with things they were exposed to in life in the Air Force, in their career field. Those leaders and humans took that partook in those actions are out of touch. They are like the winter weather here in South Dakota and northern Afghanistan, both of where I'm deployed from and to, cold and calloused. They simply lack the maturity and psychological flexibility to separate their conditions from their values, and now there is not any difference. Legendary leaders are flexible leaders. You can change your plans to match the reality of your situation, and as a result, you maintain calmness, order, during transitions or periods of chaos. Oh yeah, like this COVID-19 stuff. You are successful because you are skilled at this competency. You embrace change and are open to new ideas. Leadership is solving problems. The day a soldier stops bringing you their problems is the day you have stopped leading them. They have either lost confidence that you can help or conclude that you do not care. Either case is a failure of leadership. General retired, Colin Powell. There's something that I've noticed, and I'm sure that you have too, that can really prevent people from becoming their best, and it can stifle team development and cohesiveness. It is the condescending attitudes that some people carry around and infect others with. Yes, I said infect because that is what happens. I want us all to step back and evaluate something. What if we spend as much time looking for ways to encourage and build others up versus the time we spend looking for ways to cut them down? Well, the world would be a lot better place. Since none of us can control the whole world, let us start with our own circle, our own circle of influence. Trust me, if you spend enough time looking for something negative about someone, then you will find it. We are all human, and we all have faults. However, here is the shocker. They most likely already know about that. So, 
Have we helped anyone when we lash out or point out something they already are aware of? No. Another issue is this. We seldom know what their life situation, their life story, what experiences they have, or what they have been through that has shaped how they view and respond to situations. Real talk. Leaders are flexible in their thoughts and actions. Many times, especially in the military, leaders often feel like they are only being a good leader if they seek out every wrong thing their followers are doing, like that is all they're looking for, and then they berate or embarrass them into correcting their behavior or lack of upholding the standards. Well, newsflash, that's not being a good leader. Now, sometimes leaders must be stern and make unpopular decisions in the effort of maintaining good order and discipline, but that does not mean they have to do it in a hateful manner. It's not always the case that these leaders are being hateful. It is just an unpopular decision that must be made. When you experience this, please do yourself a favor. Step back and analyze your actions, emotions, and feelings regarding the situation before assuming that it is a matter of hateful leader. Real talk. Leaders know that kindness is a sign of courage and strength. Leaders encourage and build others up. They motivate and inspire others to want to exceed the standards and even police themselves. Find something positive and uplifting to point out to people, which they may not see or know about in themselves. Many people are much more aware of their shortcomings as compared to their strengths, so we should spend more time exposing people's strengths versus their weaknesses and or failures. Start with your circle of influence and lift up someone today. Spend an entire week speaking life and encouragement into people and keep track of it, then share it with others. It is easy to tear people down, and most of the world is great at that. But we will be different, legendary even, and do something positive. One last newsflash. Supporting another's success will not dampen yours. Key takeaways. Be the best in the Air Force at your assigned duties and responsibilities. Be committed to excellence. You are the standard of excellence. Never accept anything other than full commitment to excellence. Psychological flexibility is a must for leaders. Reflective questions. Are you the expert at what you do? And how do you know? How do you validate that? Are you truly committed to excellence? And could others tell? How do you describe psychological flexibility? That was a relatively short distance between our waypoints, so let's just push right on through to our next point. This one is a doozy. It's about developing inclusive leaders and organizations. I say it's a doozy because many people are not ready to hear it, and it may be the longest waypoint that we have. However, it may be the most important. Let us really dig into this and commit to making our Air Force better and to be an example for the rest of the world on how to do it right. Developing Inclusive Leaders, a focus on inclusion of diversity, developing inclusive leaders and organizations, a case study within the Air Force featuring Rochelle Hemingway. It is time for parents to teach young people early on that in diversity there is beauty and there is strength. Maya Angelo. Opening thoughts. Why should leaders be inclusive? I think this is a no-brainer question and a follow-on explanation. However, if I am talking about it, that means it's maybe not so obvious. As leaders, we must be inclusive of the diversity on our team. Since this book is predominantly directed to those within the Air Force, I think the best way to walk through this is through a case study that I did back in April through May of 2020. Now, as I stated before, this is the longest waypoint. However, I really challenge you to dig in and really keep an open mind and heart. You will get to hear the thoughts and opinions of one of my dear friends, and she dropped some hashtag wisdom on us. This is such an important topic and necessary for leaders. I wanted to be sure to bring in diversity of thought on the topic. A case study. The Air Force is inclusive of its diversity. Hashtag, what say the airmen? We recruit civilians to be airmen. 
who all have unique backgrounds. Some of those backgrounds are good and some are not. We cannot change that for them, but we can change how we accept, treat, and lead them. Are you inclusive? Are you under the impression that we are good to go because the Air Force is diverse? Well, if so, you're missing the point. I assure you that we have come a long way regarding inclusion. However, we still have a lot of work to do. Until every airman, uniformed civilian, or contractor can be assessed based only on their performance versus any other factor, then we are not where we need to be. Of course, most airmen truly understand that it is imperative for us to continue to build and maintain a culture that promotes the inclusion of our diversity. However, it is naive to believe that every airman feels and or acts this way. If it were true, then we would not have airmen being treated any differently or being assessed on anything other than their performance. We have airmen that are discriminated against amongst our ranks, and it must stop. We must treat each other with dignity and respect. All humans deserve that, and we as airmen will ensure that happens. Are you a leader that cares, but are not exactly sure how to start the conversation, the difficult discussions? Well, if you are an airman, then you should contact your local Equal Opportunity Office, and if you are in any other organization, just work it through with your organization's Human Resource Department and or Equal Opportunity Office. The bottom line is this. We must develop inclusive leaders and organizations if we ever hope to leave a worthy legacy for our future generations. Period. There are a lot of you, good humans and good leaders that are doing it right. I want to encourage you to keep pressing on and looking for those that you are entrusted to lead, motivate, and inspire. Prove to your team that any unlawful discrimination is unacceptable. Treat them with dignity and respect. Get to know them, where they are from, where they want to go, what they are afraid of, what they aspire to be what their doubts are, and the list goes on and on. We are all living in our dash. I've talked about that with you before. So make sure that it's a life worth talking about, a legendary legacy. If everything in your life is awesome and you have the greatest stories, the greatest accomplishments, and etc., and you did it without love, then you failed at this little thing we call life, plain and simple. Can you discriminate with love? Nope, I didn't think so. Airmen are human. We are our nation's example of hope. Never forget that. My final thoughts on the case study. I know this sounds a little weird to start, essentially, with my final thoughts. However, just stay with me. It will make sense in the end, I promise. In addition, some of the material presented here makes more sense if you visit Real Talk with Caleb on Anchor or Apple Podcasts and hear the full episodes that correspond with this information. Wow, when I started this special project over a month ago, I had no idea the effect it would have on me. I mean, I knew that we still have airmen that experience discrimination in the Air Force, even though I have never seen or experienced it myself. I never doubted anyone's stories. However, I suppose that it was one of my unattended blind spots. I will also submit to you that it's most likely an unintended blind spot for many of you. You see, when we have not experienced or maybe not even witnessed discrimination in action, we tend to believe that it does not happen, or at a minimum, that when it does happen, everyone is reconciled through the proper and official channels which the Air Force provides. This assumption is false. What we are portraying in many cases is that we see and ignore discrimination or that we selectively enforce inclusion. No? Well then, lean in and listen and go listen to episode 4 on that podcast I just mentioned, where our warriors shared their stories. This is where we had four airmen share stories of discrimination and see if you still hold that position. I can tell you this much. I'm going to be more keenly aware of my surroundings, like a true inclusive leader should be, and shut down discrimination wherever I may find it which means that I will actively look for it. No more passive approach. It is not that I have intentionally overlooked it in the past, but I did not know what I did not know. And you do not know what you do not know either. I truly hope you tried to view and or listen to this entire series through the boots of others. If you did not do that, then you failed. 
Go back and try again. Real talk. The Air Force is a place for everybody. Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force Number 19, Chief Master Sergeant Joanne Bass. Setting the stage, discrimination does occur. As I mentioned before, discrimination does still occur in our Air Force. Now, the Air Force's stance on the matter is strictly against discrimination, and it, the Air Force, places utmost importance on inclusion. There are those among us in our ranks that do not align with that stance and requirement. Why? I rack my brain on this repeatedly. I cannot help but remember the pain and anguish that I heard in the voices and saw in the faces of the warriors that shared their stories of discrimination. I had Zoomed the warriors for their stories, however, we only shared the audio portion for obvious reasons. I am forever indebted to these warriors for demonstrating true courage to come forward and share their stories, which I know will help inspire others to come forward and just maybe help you analyze your thoughts, motives, and actions. Discrimination obviously and unfortunately still occurs in today's Air Force, and that is just plain outright unacceptable. It is mind-boggling that people still think there is not a problem. Many, and perhaps even all of those that think there is not a problem, are lulled to sleep by their own blind spots. Through my research on this special project, I learned that many do not even know that there are forms of discrimination happening around them, and many times this is due to their own social biases. We must not only face our own thoughts, biases, surround ourselves with other diverse people that will help us identify our own blind spots, but also admit those biases and blind spots. Why? Because we will be stuck in this unacceptable position until we do. Do not be afraid of your biases. They are only dangerous when you do not, either do not know what they are, or in the case where they are bad biases, fall victim to those biases, and that is when people get hurt. These biases sometimes manifest themselves in outright blatant discrimination, and sometimes it is more covert, a slow eating away at someone's feelings and self-worth. Regardless, if it is intentional or not, it is vitally important that we are aware of biases, covert and overt discrimination, and stop it immediately. Do not let it continue. Do not walk past it or turn a blind eye to it, because you, as a leader, just approved of it, and you do walk past it, and you do not say anything about it. How discrimination affects those being discriminated against. As I listened to the warriors share their stories, my heart was literally breaking. I was astonished by their stories that I heard, and in many cases just could not believe that other humans could possibly think that it was okay to treat another human with so little to no dignity or respect. One warrior even attributed to losing her voice, having to remain silent as these things, discrimination, were occurring around her. If you have not listened to the podcast yet, there's a story where Zoe talks about how a shop foreman referred to him as a monkey. During this podcast, we talked about the onlys, you know, being the only one in the room, the office, or whatever setting that was not like the rest. Wait, you cannot imagine that? Why? Probably because you are not an only. Otherwise, you would most likely already know about this issue. Discrimination devalues those it is aimed at and plants the seed of doubt and not belonging in their minds. Those seeds are then nurtured by silence of those that could and should have stopped it and by continuous upping of the discrimination. I think immediately of Cecilia's story and how her co-workers just kept upping their degree of comments and innuendos towards her. Something that she said really stood out to me was, she said, end quote, I am, not a, am I not enough that I am not the right color to be an engineer? On the other hand, as Kim said, don't tell me how to feel, which highlights to me how some leaders react when someone brings them a case of discrimination. They say things like, oh, it's not that bad. It's not really discrimination. You just need tougher skin. I guess that these so-called leaders are dermatologists now. No, they're just weak non-leaders. Can you just imagine the anxiety and depression that comes along with being discriminated against? I mean, think about it. Brittany has even had people in the military and her family that did not accept her. This is so sad. We must do better. Imagine being the lone airman in the corner. You may say, come on, chief, that doesn't happen. No? 
Well, if it didn't happen, then I would not be right here talking about this right now. Adjust your eyesight, fix your perspective, and get the real vision on what's going on in your organization. It's happening. There are alone airmen walking about, cowered in the corner or silent. You're the leader that will ensure that they can come out of the corner and have their own voice heard. Everyone is watching you as a leader, and when you do not stand up to it, report it, or stop it, then you immediately approve of it and support its continuation. Now, we must stand up and speak out against discrimination and selective inclusion. The Air Force has already given us the diversity we need, through recruitment and the broad diversity of our force. It is our obligation and our duty to be inclusive of that diversity. Like General Gofeen stated, it is not about being politically correct, because you know that is what some people call it, and you really get a peek inside people's hearts when they make comments like that. He goes on to say, it's about a warfighting imperative. The general is right. But I'll take it back to the human level. It's about human dignity and respect. The last time I checked, we're all human, and we earn the right to be treated with dignity and respect. Period. Real talk. You cannot tell someone what they're feeling, so don't try to. If we ever hope to eliminate discrimination, we must ensure that we, as leaders, as a force even, create an environment that is safe from reprisal. Not just like a slogan, but in reality, where airmen can elevate their concerns. They do not need an environment or a culture in which they are doubted, or fear that they will not be heard out when they bring up a suspicion regarding covert or even overt discrimination. You may say, oh, come on now, chief, there aren't any environments like that. No? Really? Then why are we here, and why are we hearing stories about it? Check your areas and your organizations. We immediately approve of the discrimination and faulty culture when we doubt them and when we tell airmen how they should feel about it. You give the individual airmen courage when you believe and listen to them. And then, in turn, you're supporting a culture of inclusion because that airman is going to spread the truth about how you listened to them and heard them out. Everyone deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. You are to be the inclusive leader. Speaking of culture, what is the culture of your organization? Good? Are you sure about that? On the other hand, is it only considered good by those that think, believe, look, or act like you? Huh. Now, stop being angry and ask those heroes to your left and your right to help you with your unconscious biases and blind spots. You say, I don't see color, race, religious preference, and etc. Well, bad on you. You should see those things to start to understand where that awesome human being comes from. What you should not do is see those things as a discriminator as to where they can go or what they can achieve. You will get to know your people, and you will lead your teams to do the same. We are in the people business, remember? Yes, we wage our nation's wars and protect the homeland, but we do that with people. Remember, we do not raise the humans that basic military training starts to turn into airmen. There's anywhere from 17 to 39 years of formation and forming and foundation that has already been set. It's imperative that as leaders, as a force, that we continue to educate, train, and reinforce what we started at BMT. Think of it this way. Imagine that we recruit a civilian from a bad background, a background that goes directly against what is we as an Air Force believe in regarding inclusion. Then imagine that there are leaders in the field, Operational Air Force, that believe basic military training and technical training reoriented that human, now airman, to the right path. Imagine somehow that there are those out there that think a mere few weeks can and does completely undo 17 to 39 years of forming. Well, that assumption happens every day, and that is a horrible assumption. Basic military training and technical training starts to set the foundation for what we need and want our airmen to understand, believe, and operate in accordance with. However, they cannot possibly erase that many years of potential biases and blind spots. Our job as real leaders is to help them and give them an opportunity to accept responsibility for themselves and change if required. As my friend and brother Chief BK says, people listen a little and watch a lot. 
So, what are you doing as a leader? As someone famous once said, if your actions, note, not beliefs, thoughts, ideas, gender, ethnicity, or etc., your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, become more, you are a leader. Remember, I've used that quote a few times. It comes from our sixth president of the United States, John Q. Adams. I know that I've used this quote like 56,000 times, but I truly love it. If you are only talking about your organization being inclusive versus demonstrating what that means, then you are failing. Stop failing. Lace up your boots, get out in the field, and lead our airmen. Good leaders understand what they do not see or know and are open to those who bring those blind spots into view. The first thing we do as leaders is acknowledge we all have blinders on, and there are certain things we are not going to be able to see in our organization. Once we acknowledge that, we have to acknowledge there are flesh-colored band-aids in every squadron. General Goldfein, retired United States Air Force. The general is right, you know. We must be good. No, we must be great leaders. I hope that you continue listening through this waypoint as we're about to take a deep dive into some wisdom from my friend Rochelle. The following is her excerpt that was used in the case study. Some of these are more of talking points, so if you do not listen to the accompanying podcast, then they may not make perfect sense. However, some are legitimate standalone advice, and I know that you will still be able to glean some great and valuable information from them. Chief Master Sergeant Rochelle Hemingway's thoughts. The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Actions towards developing inclusive leaders and organizations. She says, diversity is fact. Inclusion is an act. Everyone is in a different place when it comes to diversity and inclusion. The benefits of diversity and inclusion in the military. The why is it important? Creating an authentic and inclusive workplace culture. Diversity is a fact. Inclusion is an act. Facts on diversity. Diversity is composed of varying characteristics such as age, gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation, religious beliefs, political beliefs, education, socioeconomic background, geographic location, physical abilities, language, personality, personal life experiences, preferences, and beliefs. Inclusion requires action, where all people are given equal opportunity to contribute to mission success and be their true and authentic selves regardless of background. Great analogy regarding diversity and inclusion. Diversity is having a seat at the table. Inclusion is having a voice. Belonging is having that voice to be heard. Real talk. Everyone is in a different place when it comes to diversity and inclusion. There is an assumption that everyone knows and understands what diversity and inclusion is. However, I believe there are four different groups of people as described in the following. The champion. These people are committed advocates, allies, and experts in the workplace. They live, eat, and breathe diversity and inclusion. They understand and work with people from many different cultures. They know a lot about the issues and actively work towards change. These are usually the informal leaders in the work centers and need to be incentivized to continue to do their work. The newbie, well-intentioned yet uninformed, but their hearts are in the right place. They sometimes express ill-informed ideas, unknowingly contributing to the problems they want to see solved. It is easy to get upset when people say ill-informed things, but it's important to remember that we're all still learning. Everyone has said the wrong thing at some point or another, so we all can have some empathy for what it feels like to mess up, and how we respond to them when that happens matters. Attacking or being condescending to people who are trying to help discourages them from continuing to help, and it risks converting these uninformed allies into bystanders, or worse, the extremist. Furthermore, when people witness someone who's misinformed but well-intentioned get roasted for it, mistakenly saying something offensive, it can create a widespread fear of being judged harshly for messing up and that can make people avoid engaging in real conversations about these topics at all. Of course, problematic thoughts and ideas need to be corrected, but doing so with kindness and empathy encourages everyone to stay involved. The bystander. 
Largely indifferent, they do nothing to advance progress, but little to actively hinder it. Diversity and inclusion? Huh? They are busy and have not really thought about it. And some may say, what does that have to do with me? This group is our untapped market or undecided voters to our biggest opportunity and deepen support for diversity and inclusion interventions. These are people who haven't spent much time thinking about these issues and likely haven't been confronted with them. Many people in this category are not sure how they fit into or even see themselves in these conversations or not even sure they should be a part of them at all. To turn bystanders into allies, you need to make a compelling case for why they should care. Listen to their concern if they have them, respond thoughtfully to misguided thinking, and engage in a dialogue, not a monologue, about these issues. We want to get bystanders to care, rather than superficially towing the line just to stay out of trouble. The extremists. They have done their research and think diversity and inclusion efforts are a waste of time and money. Confident that they are biased for a reason, they do not intend to change their mind. The first instinct may be to dismiss these people, discount everything they say, and ignore these viewpoints. However, if we want to win this battle for equality, then like any good team, we need to study our opposition. That means engaging in conversations with those who even disagree. These conversations do not need to be held publicly, of course, or held at all if it's going to be triggering for you personally. But in this profession, we must understand where they are, where they're coming from, and why they're so concrete in their biases. What purpose does it serve in their lives, and is there something we could offer to replace it with? Even if we never change the minds of many people in this category, understanding why they feel that way will help us better target our efforts to those who are undecided. Whatever extreme viewpoints they may have, those indifferent to these issues likely have shades of the same viewpoints. And by gaining insight into their motivations and thought processes, we can frame our own messages for the broadest possible appeal. Our culture has filled us with offensive, problematic, and misguided ideas about gender, race, sexuality, and you name it. Everyone is at a different place with how deeply they believe these ideas, consciously or otherwise, and how much they've spent challenging them. Rather than just knowing how to preach to the choir, we would be better served if we meet people where they are. Then we can escort them on their journey forward, understanding this will make more impact in the end. The Benefits of Diversity and Inclusion in the Military Diversity is a military necessity. Air Force capabilities and warfighting skills are enhanced by diversity among its personnel. At its core, such diversity provides our total force in an aggregation of strengths, perspectives, capabilities that transcends individual contributions. Air Force personnel who work with a diverse environment learn to maximize individual strengths and to combine individual abilities and perspectives for the good of the mission. Our ability to attract greater, highly talented, diverse pool of applicants for service within the Air Force, both military and civilian, develop and retain our current personnel will impact our total force development. Diversity is about strengthening our force and ensuring long-term viability to support our mission to fly, fight, and win in air, space, and cyberspace. The armed forces pride themselves in being leaders in diversity. In addition to providing equality, diversity gives the military more strength by ensuring that it reflects the very same American population it is called to defend. Diversity and inclusion have significant payoffs. All else being equal, a team with more than one represented demographic will tend to perform better, especially when it comes to producing innovation which becomes more important to us with each passing day. Groups with members of varied backgrounds generate more ideas and encourage individuals to up their games. A more diverse team will help you, personally and in your professional life. Properly led, and the more diversity around you, the more blind spots will be covered, the more biases will be challenged, and the more decisions will be integrated and improved. Creating and maintaining an authentic and inclusive workplace culture. There are many studies that show why people join the Air Force. And like the rest of us, they are looking to work where they fit in and where they can make a human connection. If they cannot make these connections, 
they will most likely leave the Air Force and go somewhere else. First, it's important to ensure airmen feel comfortable bringing their whole selves to work. Many of us spend more waking hours at work than we do with our families on any given day. The foundation of bringing your whole self to work is authenticity, which is about showing up, honestly, without self-righteousness and with vulnerability. I call this the authenticity equation. Honesty, self-righteousness, plus vulnerability equals authenticity. It takes courage to be authentic and is essential for trust, growth, and connection. Some simple things we can do to be more authentic at work are admit when we do not know something, acknowledge when we have made a mistake, or ask for help in a genuine way. Authenticity is priceless, and people will always love you for being you. Remember, what values you hold close and make sure you work them into your lifestyle in a way that you will remember in times of uncertainty. When you are sure of yourself, the opposition does not phase you. It will enlighten you and trigger curiosity. All of this takes courage and requires us to embrace vulnerability and let go of our need to be right. In other words, being authentic is essential to resolving conflict at work in a productive and positive way. It has also been tied to less burnout because it helps people deal more easily with jobs that involve a lot of emotional labor and therefore being able to come to work and not feel like you must put on a mask or a facade to fit in is important. It's easy to be caught up in the day-to-day responsibilities of your job and not take the time to get to know the people in your office. Disrupt the work paradigm and having a conversation with a coworker you do not normally talk to and engage them on a non-work-related topic. As you consider ways to bring your whole self to work, it is good to find a connection with others outside of work. This connection will often improve and ease of the working relationship, enhance the overall communication. What you can do today to be a more inclusive leader. Self-reflection. Understand your feelings about diversity. Do you appreciate the differences among your team members? Do you recognize the value? By recognizing your own opinions, you are better prepared to approach this topic with an open mind. Develop rapport. The only way you can appreciate others' talents is to get to know them. As a leader, invest time in learning about your team. Spend time asking your team members about their background, their educational experiences, their family environment, and what motivates them. These questions will help you find your common ground as well as understand what makes you different. Build the five-minute check-in habit. Not all your conversations with your team members should be task-related. Check in periodically to see how your team members are doing and what you can do to help them. When people feel that they are cared about, they will feel their contributions matter. This helps them unleash their thoughts, opinions, and eventually talents with their team. Encourage diversity of thought. Many leaders fail because they look at their teams and expect everyone to think and act as they do. Encourage productive confrontation by challenging your team members to think outside of the box. Create a comfortable environment during meetings for others to speak up by first asking for their opinions and then encouraging them to continue to share their thoughts. Team building activities. Take time away from work with your team and do something different. Ask for suggestions on what they would like to do. During these challenging times, you could have a virtual bingo, have a chili cook-off, schedule days during the week to volunteer together at a charitable organization, etc. Recognize your unconscious biases and be humble about it. It is impossible to understand all the values, beliefs, norms, and rituals that are important to every person at work. However, work to understand your own unconscious biases about what you assume about others. Notice, for example, what assumptions are made about who should take notes in meetings and why. It is far more common for a woman to be asked than a man under the assumption that they have neat handwriting. In order to hold yourself accountable for, or even question the accuracy of, your thought process, you first must know that it is what it is. Having assumptions is not wrong or bad. It's part of how all people fast-track understanding. The problem arises when you're not even aware that you are making assumptions. When it comes to promotions and rewarding team members, think about why you make the decisions you make. The criteria you use should be job-related and verified by data. 
It's good practice to try different perspectives and make sure you have all the information you need. Avoid relying on stereotypes. Leaders cannot lead by example unless they fully embrace diversity themselves. Make the unwritten rules obvious. All groups and organizations have cultural norms. However, if they are not written anywhere and are treated as understood, it can be harder for new members of diverse groups to know them. This is especially true on international teams where people from different cultures or backgrounds do not know the rules and accidentally misstep. This one example points out why it is so important to avoid making assumptions and to instead proactively look for ways to make sure all employees are comfortable. Don't overlook the small stuff. Be alert for inappropriate behaviors. For example, when a male team member talks about women at work, some might just think it's harmless gossip. See dangers of gossip and rumors from our earlier discussion. When someone talks about another's disability or religious beliefs, it could be deemed as innocent comment. However, casual comments and simple teasing can make others uncomfortable. Unintentional slights of minority groups can be perceived as offensive and damage workplace relationships. Ignoring these behaviors can undermine a respectful and harassment-free workplace. When you witness someone being rude or dismissive to someone else, call it out. Do not focus on finding fault, but stating what you notice and suggesting alternatives that include everyone. Have a meaningful conversation with your team members whenever necessary. Understand the advantages you're born with. Each person's race, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, culture, physical ability, religious practices afford them different levels of access and privilege. Even in simple tasks like walking through the work parking lot at night, not everyone feels safe. Women traditionally take more care in booking travel than men do because they have learned to be more cautious about their personal safety. Inclusive leaders recognize that members of their team have different considerations. Therefore, along with striving to be thoughtful, it is also important to be understanding if your employee approaches a situation differently. People are created equal, but not the same. Inclusive leaders can notice and talk about differences without making anyone feel objectified or singled out. To boot, managers are more successful when they see the unique qualities of everyone on the team. In my work, I encourage people to acknowledge the differences in a respectful way. For example, while I mentioned to you that I do not want to go as far as to hold working parents back from opportunities, you do want to recognize that being a parent is part of who they are. You can still hold a father to the same standards as everyone else on the team, but also make it clear that he can leave early to pick up his daughter from daycare. Either way, inclusion is the skill that makes diversity work, or diversity is proven to make companies more successful. So, therefore, embracing inclusivity is not only the right thing to do as a human, but the smart thing to do as a leader. Coach your team in conflict management. Conflict is unavoidable, and it isn't always a bad thing. Disagreements can breed innovation and positive change. Encourage all team members, regardless of what groups they belong to, to speak up and share their concerns daily. Training and communication is also vital to every team and can even bear better results than workplace diversity training. Give feedback and explain your decisions. Giving meaningful feedback can be difficult, but it is necessary. All team members need to know what they are doing right and what they can improve on. You should also be transparent about important decisions to keep speculation to a minimum. Being transparent with your treatment with your team can help you too. If you are obliged to explain the reasoning behind your decisions, you are more likely to avoid subjective criteria and spot any unconscious biases early on. Feedback is a two-way street. Encourage your team to talk about their problems and ideas. Your door should always be open for every team member. The sooner you create the environment for diversity to thrive, the sooner your team members will achieve better results together. Cultivating and teaching compassion, empathy, caring, respect, diversity, inclusiveness, and equality is of the utmost importance. 
Show willingness to learn and understand, and creating the right environment for our airmen means empowering them to learn, grow, and be their authentic selves. By embracing all our differences, we strengthen our ties. Additional thoughts. Making workplace diversity work poses challenges. These are a few common issues faced by diverse teams. Minority groups feel undervalued and rarely speak up. Majority groups feel alienated by efforts to enhance diversity. Cultural conflicts arise and can distract teams from solving work problems. Team members create close networks or cliques. Frontline supervisors are responsible for alleviating concerns and steering their team in the right direction. To help manage diverse teams, leaders can ask themselves three questions. One, how can I make all team members feel equally valued? Two, how can I facilitate collaboration between team members? Three, how can I always lead by example? If there ever was any doubt, it should be clear now on how important being an inclusive leader is. I really hope that this waypoint resonated with you, and if you're not already leading inclusively, that this makes you take pause, reevaluate your leadership priorities. I believe that it is keenly important to have diversity of thought on this topic. The Air Force has already set the diversity for us. It is up to us to be inclusive. There are also other times where we assemble teams to accomplish our missions, and I implore you to take a hard look at how you assemble those teams. If everyone on the team looks and acts and believes like you, then you should really look at it again and adjust fire. Lead on, legends. Key takeaways. Discrimination does occur. The Air Force is diverse, but we must lead with inclusiveness. Discrimination affects everyone different. Do not tell others how to feel. Have the difficult conversations. Reflective questions. Is discrimination occurring in your organization? If discrimination is occurring in your organization, what are you doing about it? What are you doing to develop, coach, mentor inclusive leaders? What are you doing to build and strengthen the inclusive organization? Are you promoting, leading, difficult conversations? What a great topic for leaders to discuss. I am so thankful that you're still on this journey with me, and we only have one waypoint left. Let us take a knee and draw an assessment of where we are, where have you been, and where you hope to go. I hope by now you have been able to determine why you want to lead and what type of leader that you want to be. In this last waypoint, we will discuss something I call boot leadership. We touched on it earlier, but we're going to get in the weeds with it now, which is the premise of this entire book, this trail guide, and we will take a value-based leadership approach. We also have one final guest appearance by my friend Janae Stokes, and I'm excited. Y'all, let's get it. Becoming a Legend Boot Leadership Value-based leadership with a human connection focus, featuring Janae Stokes on having the difficult conversations that create change. How far you go in your life depends on your being tender with the young, compassionate with the aged, sympathetic with the striving, and tolerant of the weak and strong. Because someday in your life, you have been all of these. George Washington Carver Opening Thoughts Teammates, we have arrived at our last waypoint on this journey. Buckle up, because this last leg we're going to jump straight into it, and we will not take a break until we have reached the summit. Sometimes life seems like a scramble, and leaders are not exempt from this. On a hike, when you're near the summit, it can sometimes take every ounce of energy, grit, drive, motivation, dedication, and sheer will to reach the top. This last push will not be any different. We will cover a lot over the next couple of minutes, but I believe that this last waypoint will put a bow on all that we've covered. Are you ready? Let's lace them up and jump into boot leadership. Real talk. Real leaders are legends, and they leave a great legacy by being boot leaders. They inspire with authenticity, passion, trust, 
approachability, value-based leadership. They care with kindness and compassion. They are committed warriors with courage, strength, and humility. Boot leadership. The boot. Boot leadership is about a mentality. Look at it this way. What comes to mind when you think of a boot? I'll tell you what comes to my mind. Durability. As we have seen using this analogy of hiking throughout the book, we cannot hope to make it on our journey without some durable footwear. Boots represent work. We cannot possibly think that we will be successful leaders or be successful as leaders if we do not work hard. Boots get dirty and beat up. As leaders, you will get dirty and beat up. You do know that leadership required hard work, dedication, suffering, sacrifice, and a lot of letdowns, right? Well, if that scared you, go ahead, catch your breath, and continue this scramble. The boot represents courage, and I think about all of our service members that have worn the boot as they served our great nation. Do not be faint of heart. This journey requires courage, which I know you have. Real talk. Leaders have a boot mentality. The slipper. Now, think of slippers. What comes to mind when you think of a slipper? Well, I bet you thought of something like laziness, not made for hiking, or maybe even comfort. I want you to know something. We have many leaders that are wearing slippers versus boots. Legends cannot be slipper wearers. They must wear the boot. Legends do not have time for flipping slippers. Something else you should know. There will be slipper-wearing haters that sit at the bottom of your mountain and throw insults at you as you embark on your journey. Others will be trying to convince you to hang out. Hang out in your comfort zone with them. Do not fall victim to that temptation. Remember the circle of influence we talked about? Well, this is when you may need to tighten up your laces and call on your friends. Over the next few paragraphs, I'll walk us through some few points to help you gain a better understanding of what a boot leader is. And really, is a lot of what we've already covered with just a few extra tips. I want you to all become boot leaders who are legendary and leaders that will leave a great legacy. A legacy of other leaders. The best way to leave a great legacy is to develop leaders to replace you. Boots versus slippers. I talked about scars a little earlier on, but I want to readdress it here and bring this point together. On our journey, we must know who we really are, and we must deal with our scars if we have them, and most do. If you remember, the scars I'm referencing here are those emotional and psychological scars that we receive over the spans of our lives. From my experience, many of these scars come from our childhood and early adulthood. Many believe that we are inevitably shaped by our experiences, but I say that we are influenced by our experiences and how we choose to respond to them. Real talk. Leaders make the hard, right calls versus the easy, wrong calls. We also must know who we are. What I mean by this is that we must know what those personal core values are and then hold true to them. There will be plenty of times where you may be tempted to slide your feet into those slippers and just avoid the hard, right calls for the easy, wrong, where you do not have to use your personal core values. In my experience, leaders choose a slipper out when following their personal values was not the popular choice. Boot leadership calls to action our personal core values, and we must stay true to them. Otherwise, we are not authentic, and we will lose credibility with those that we lead. When we add up who we are with what we do, we get the sum of either leadership or the oxygen exchange program. Yes, either we face and deal with our scars and who we are and choose to respond with realistic positivity, or we can continue to be the product of our experiences rather than our choices with those experiences. Be careful or you can end up simply being the slipper-wearing oxygen exchange program leader. You are being watched. We are always being watched. This will play in more and later when we discuss do what you say you're going to do. However, I want to discuss it here specifically. Our teens will know if we are wearing boots or slippers, and they will adjust their thoughts, perceptions, actions, and responses based on your footwear. The fact that we are constantly under scrutiny by those we lead should not scare you, 
Rather, it should motivate and inspire you. You have the honor and privilege to lead people, to help guide them in their lives to reach their full potential. We are living in times that require real leaders, legendary leaders, and maybe more now than any other point in time in our history. We will not let our teams down. We will be the leaders they need, and the way that seems to work the best is a value-based leadership approach. Value-based leadership. Value-based leadership is an effective way of developing and building high-performing teams with great culture if at least most of the individuals on the team is truly motivated by values. If not, then it can be extremely difficult to build a shared value system based off others' individual values. I've used it many times in my career, and sometimes it works, and sometimes you just have to drive compliance, especially if there are many individuals on the team that either do not know what they value or value things that are not morally or ethically accepted by the group. Real talk. Leaders connect at the human level. In order to discuss value-based leadership a little deeper, I want to take us through just a couple of subpoints that I believe nest under value-based leadership. The following highlights are not earth-shattering. However, I found that they are not that common among leaders. If you want to be a real leader, a legend, then you will not want to miss these next subpoints. One thing that is for certain, in order to execute value-based leadership effectively, is connecting with your teammates on the human level. Human connection. Leaders cannot overemphasize the importance of human connection. As you listened earlier in this book, Rochelle Hemingway stated that she was adamant, and I 100% agree, that we must connect with those we lead at the human level. Listen, in my experience, most leaders do not connect with those that they are responsible for leading. They quote-unquote check the boxes at the superficial level, however, they rarely ever get deeper than that. Well, how many of your previous or even current supervisors know or knew your story? I imagine that very few can answer that with a yes, they know. Legends. We must set and be the example. Be the example. Legends, we are the example. The standards we enforce are only the standards that will be consistently followed. If you walk past a problem, then you just approved of that problem. Remember our inclusive leadership discussion from earlier? Well, this is it. We must set and be the model, the example of what right leadership looks and acts like. Remove your common access card and pay attention. This is such a simple and easy way to accomplish action that shows your teammates that you are committed to them in their situations. Maybe you have had this happen to you. Have you ever walked in to talk to someone and they never even looked up from their computer as they spoke to you? Maybe you have had someone look at you, however they leave their CAC in their computer, and then a minute or so into the conversation you must be boring them because they keep looking back at their screen like they need to send that one email that will end world hunger. Does that not just make you feel like you're a valued and appreciated member of the team? <laughs> no? Well, I can't imagine why not. No, I'm playing. I completely get it and it really irritates me. Heed the warning here, legends. If it makes you feel that way, irritated and or unappreciated, and even if it does not make you feel any sort of way, then rest assured it will or is highly probable that it will make others feel less than valued. It is so easy to just turn and speak to them. Now, if the conversation is going to take more time than you have to spare at that moment, just set up a future appointment with them so that you can have adequate time to give them the attention they need and deserve. Never write anyone off. How many times have you seen this? How many times has it happened to you? How many times have you done it to someone? I get it. We all mess up. However, if you mess up and write someone off too soon, then we need to go back and try to make that situation right. How? Well, for starters, we can and should ask for forgiveness. Take that pride out. Now walk it off to the woods and bury it. You will not need that around here anymore. Now we'll say that some people do need to be moved along. As we say in the Air Force, when an airman, regardless of rank, cannot adjust or conform to military life, Show them the front gate. What I'm saying here is for us to not write a subordinate or teammate off too fast. 
it is our responsibility to try to coach them back on the right track. Have you ever seen the meme where there's an adult in the pool with a couple of children and the adult is holding one child, playing, and the other child is about to go under? Well, if you have, that is a picture you should, that should come to mind here. As leaders, we owe it to those we lead to at least try to get them to the standard and not write them off after one or two mistakes. Do not let them drown. We are not the Codlin Corporation either, but we are also not the Grim Reaper. We are not the Codlin Corporation, and we must, at least in the military, prepare our airmen for combat. Now granted, it's not hand-to-hand, door-kicking, or grenade-throwing combat for most career fields, but combative and hostile environments nonetheless, so we must be prepared for the worst day on any day. However, we do not have to be mean or treat people inhumanely in order to prepare them. How many times have you seen the poster or the sign that says, The beatings will continue until morale improves? Well, those are not funny, and they do not promote a professional culture. You may be saying, come on now, chief. You know it's just a joke. Yeah, maybe I do, and maybe I don't know that. Maybe those you are entrusted to lead do not know or feel that way. What are we really telling our teammates with comments like that anyway? One thing we are not telling them is that they are in a space where they can fail and grow. I would much rather our airmen fail in the training grounds versus in combat. Create a safe environment where growth is possible. Legends. It is critical that we provide our teammates with the latitude and flexibility to slip, trip, and or fall. We cannot, we must not micromanage them. However, we cannot just throw them to the wolves or fire either. We must coach them to a level where they are ready to execute the mission or task on their own. They do not have to be perfectly ready, so just breathe and let them do it. Just remember, they may have had years of people saying they had the flexibility to fall, but then never were treated that way. So do not be surprised if they do not completely believe or trust you at first. Give it time, and with patience, coaching, and proof that you are a leader of your word, they will come around. Know their story. Do you know the stories of those you lead? I mean, do you really know their stories? Where they are from? Who their parents are? What their interests are? How about their viewpoints or even their ideas? If you do not know these things about those you lead, then you need to lace up your boots and get to work. Words of caution as you embark upon this portion of building rapport with your teammates. Do not fake this or make it a check-the-box type of mechanized leadership approach because they will know, and it will blow up in your face. This is about connecting at the human level, and that is simply not something that you can fake or just go through the motion zone. There will be times where you need to have those difficult, at least they may seem difficult, and they are difficult for some, discussion about our society's hot topics like race, religion, and politics. Real talk. Leaders know the stories of those they lead. Have the difficult discussions. This is something that ties back to being an inclusive leader, and it is something that we must do. I believe the best way to teach you how to do this is through my friend and legendary leader, Mass Sergeant Janae Stokes. I recently had the opportunity to sit down with Janae and go over how to have difficult discussions, and I would be foolish to not share her wisdom directly with you. One of her favorite quotes, People will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. Maya Angelou. Opening thoughts. How can conversations, real dialogue, help humans develop better relationships? In addition, why have we always been told to not talk about race, religion, or politics? We are all adults, right? Massarn Janae Stokes' thoughts on this. High stakes. It's human nature to back away from discussions we fear will hurt us or affect relationships with people we like, know, and trust. We are masters of a, at avoiding difficult discussions. In a professional environment, it may be difficult to have tough conversations because we of our investments in our professional relationships. As humans, we are a product of our experiences and the relationships we have built. Think about the times when you had a friend or a mentor who gave you critical or constructive feedback. You were probably more receptive to that feedback, potentially because you respected that relationship. 
Most of the time, we never get a chance to create a safe space up front as a difficult discussion starts. So I would suggest setting that safe space up early on in the relationship. Establish things that make you tick, how you were brought up, your family dynamics, things you do not like, and things that you care the most about. Most of the time, we are thrown into a work environment and we are expected to assimilate or conform without ever setting the foundation. When the foundation is not established up front, you can expect some cracks. Naturally, when we think of difficult discussions, we think that we can automatically see into the future with a negative ending. We expect loss of friendship, loss of trust and respect for that person, and at times, our work suffers. However, if we were taught how to set the foundation early, difficult discussions would be a little easier to handle. Now, it's not always going to be easy, but once you get into the conversation with the established relationship in mind, you are able to reach a better result. As the one carrying the conversation, you have the power to control the conversation in a positive and constructive way using three key steps. I'll go into a few tips on how to have a productive, difficult conversation. One, purpose. Two, engagement. Three, your desired outcome. Follow up. All these things take practice. Purpose. Before jumping into your purpose, you must keep it real with yourself. Work on becoming more self-aware. Understand your body's natural responses when you feel threatened, insulted, or attacked. Do you debate, give the silent treatment, or manipulate the conversation? Maybe you are the problem. Maybe they are the problem. Regardless, the only person we can continuously inspire, prod, and share is the person in the mirror. The journey of learning about yourself is forever changing, but be open and receptive to feedback. All feedback. If you do not give feedback, ask for it. Surround yourself with people who do not share your same viewpoints. That's a good way to keep you engaged and in tune with your innate responses to difficult and differences in thoughts. We sometimes see confirmation bias as a crutch, or as they say, the easy button. We rarely pursue challenges, we like to stay comfortable, and so when we are presented with a challenging discussion, it already feels uncomfortable because it is unfamiliar territory. We must be able to discern whom and what influences our thoughts and actions and reactions. Now that we know what we need to work on, let us get into our purpose with planned conversations. If the other person is going to accept your invitation, they need to know what it is that they are agreeing to. Letting them know up front that your goal for the discussion is to understand their perspective better, share your own, and talk about how to go forward together will go a long way to make the conversation less mysterious and threatening. Before going into the conversation, what is the end state? Is your desired outcome to simply educate or inform with no response expected? Are you expecting and prepared for feedback after educating your subordinate or peer? Is the goal to defend or oppose a decision being made? If so, how are you going to begin the conversation? It is always okay to go back and revisit conversations that have gone wrong. Once you understand where it went wrong, because maybe you went into the discussion without knowing your purpose or desired outcome. Skilled people start with heart. They begin high-risk conversations with the right motives, and they stay focused no matter what. You must go into the conversation with good intentions. Crucial conversations often go awry, not because of the uh, content of the conversation, but because others believe that the painful content of your conversation has malicious intent under the surface. How can I feel safe when you are out to harm me? Everything out of your mouth at this point is suspect. What is your purpose? Let it be known up front. Engagement. What do you need to do when you engage in a difficult discussion? Engagement is everything. Listen to understand. Do not listen to respond. Develop understanding. It is okay to process information during a conversation. Do not always have to have a response or answer right away. It's okay to step out or take a break when you do not feel safe and then come back once you process your purpose. Ask questions. Help me understand how that made you feel. Help me see from your perspective. Is there something deeper or something that I am missing? A real conversation is an interactive process. Desired outcome. When you go into this conversation with the desired outcome in mind, it makes it a little easier to have the conversation. 
Usually the end state should be to build up on your relationship with the person you are conversing with. Think about how you see the conversation ending. Mutual respect. Provide or gain insight. Develop a mutual understanding and attempt to understand their perspective is key. Try to see it from their perspective. We need to have an outward mindset. Facing these difficult conversations and speaking up can have additional benefits to include becoming a better leader because we all know the leaders who shy away from conflict when it matters most and how that impacts our organization. Improving your organization, it improves relationships, revitalizes your community, and definitely improves your overall personal health. Follow up. Sometimes after a difficult discussion, we may or may not have had the chance to follow up with the other member. But if you care about that individual and your goal is to build up on that relationship, it's a good practice to follow up. Feedback. Maybe after a difficult discussion with a peer, supervisor, subordinate, or friend, ask to do lunch or meet up to see if things are getting better. Especially in a work environment, you must continue to communicate. Thanks, Jay. Those were some valuable wisdom nuggets that you dropped for us regarding difficult discussions. Legends. You must have the difficult discussions if you ever hope to connect at the human level. Now, for some additional boot-isms. Do what you say you're going to do. Be the leader you needed. Yes, we must talk about this because there are many people that who do not abide by this principle. If you want to be the leader, then you will do what you say, or at the very minimum, you explain why you're not able to do what you said you were going to do. I warn you to not let your mouth write checks you cannot cash, meaning that you should be very cautious about what you say you're going to do because only you get a few times of being wrong before you start to lose credibility with your team. Another thing that some leaders forget as they summit their journey is how they felt when they were at the bottom of the mountain. Never forget how it felt to be at the bottom. Be the leader that you needed when, whenever, fill in the blank. I promise you that it will be so impactful to that teammate when you stop to listen and help them on their journey. Never underestimate the power and difference that a few minutes can make in someone's life. Treat them like a human. That's a novel idea. Wow, do I really have to talk about this? Yes, unfortunately I do have to talk about it because it does not happen as often as you would think that it does or that it should happen. Listen, we are all human and we deserve dignity and respect. If you think that basic human dignity and respect must be earned, then you need to bow out of your leadership position. Leaders, set the example. It is incredibly frustrating when I hear people tell me that they just feel like another cog in the machine. And I've spoken to thousands of people about this. Leaders, we owe it to everyone on the globe, but especially to those that we are entrusted to lead to treat them with the utmost respect. Be available to mentor. Yes, be available to truly mentor others. What is your definition of mentorship? Many times when I ask this question, people end up providing me with a definition more closely aligned to coaching. I'll refer you back to Waypoint 3 where Nina goes into more depth. The bottom line on this, stop putting it in your performance reports for the Air Force and claiming that you have mentored 400 people in a year because you know you didn't do that. Mentorship is a true sojourning with another human being. You may not be able to afford the time to accept every request and mentor that you receive. Be selective and only accept those in which you have the capacity to fully support call their special people. This is one of my favorite things to do as a leader. I get to know someone in the organization. I also get to know who is special to them back home or wherever. And then I ask them if it's okay if I call them. It is so cool to see the faces of those you lead light up when you're talking to their special people. I always like to take the opportunity to tell them how important they are and how much their son or daughter, niece, nephew, cousin, or whomever it is to them and us and our mission in the Air Force. Their family members are always eager to hear more. And they always ask me to make sure that I take care of them. As a father of four, I completely get that part. Legends, never forget that you're responsible for and entrusted with human lives that should be precious to you, but I promise they are precious to someone. That is why I say entrusted so much. There are people out there that have entrusted you, without knowing you, with leading their special human. Do not screw it up. Real talk, 
Leaders never forget where they come from. Tell them you are proud of them. When was the last time someone told you they were proud of you? How did it make you feel? Good, right? Well, when's the last time you told any one of the awesome people that you lead that you are proud of them? Do not wait. Find something that you are proud of them for and then tell them. Listen, do not just say it to be saying it because then it will be hollow and they will know. Pick something specific out and tell them about that. As an example, the other day I received an email from one of our Airman Leadership School instructors, Jeff Carley. I responded to his email, and then at the end of my email, I told him that I was proud of the type of instructor and non-commissioned officer that he is, and for how he gives his students life lessons versus just check-the-box book answers. Be specific. We are our organization's pillar of strength and loyalty. We are the hope. Are you really seen this way? Are you seen as your organization's pillar of strength and loyalty? I hope you are. But if you're not, then I suggest you correct that as soon as possible, like right now. Our people look up to us and should be able to emulate us. Do your followers look up to you as hope? If your followers do not look at us as a symbol of hope, then it is highly probable that we are not creating a culture and environment of safety and growth. Be a leader of your word and stand for what is right and never cave into the easy, comfortable norm. Preserve the privilege to lead and do not waste the opportunity. We have somewhat already talked about this, but let's go ahead and highlight it again. Remember when we talked about leading and connecting at the human level? Well, this is where we bring it all full circle and highlight how much of a privilege it is versus a right to lead. I've seen so many leaders who think leadership is a right and that people should feel privileged to be under their leadership. <laughs> oh, man. Just to be clear, these types of leaders suck. Don't suck. Do not waste this incredible opportunity that you have. Soak every moment in and do the very best you possibly can to help those around you. And trust me, they will help you grow and succeed beyond your wildest dreams. It is all about people and doing your best to help them in their journey. Inspire. As leaders and influencers, we must be authentic and inspire people. And it's highly unlikely that you will inspire people if you're not both authentic and passionate. What is your why? That is the key to your passion. Once you identify your why, you will begin to unlock and display your passion. Leaders must build trust with their teams. We must trust each other, and when we do not trust those to our left and our right, in front of and behind us, we have a much higher probability of failing. It's imperative to build trust with those around us, and we can only do that by being credible and approachable. What makes you trust someone? At a minimum, be that type of person, a person that you would trust. Remember, trust is so easily lost through careless words and actions. Don't fake it. You must be authentic, because without that, you're just faking it, and you're the only one that is fooled. Lastly, you must be approachable. Get off your high horse. If those you are entrusted to lead do not believe that they can come to you because, for whatever reason, fill in the blank, then you're not approachable. If you're not inspiring your team, then it's time to get real and lace those boots up. Four questions you need to think about from your dash. Did I teach, coach, mentor, and lead them? Did I prepare them? Did I care about them as people? They will talk. What will they say and what will they wear? Wow. There's a lot to say about value-based leadership, and I really didn't even scratch the surface, to be honest with you. There are a few other spurs that I want you to be aware of as we encroach even closer to our journey summit here. Some of these are really Air Force-specific. However, my civilian teammates can replace some of these service-specific material with your organization's material, ethos, code of conduct, etc. Lastly, some of the material was covered earlier in the book. However, I believe that it's pertinent for us to have a condensed version refresher. Watch out for the paper tigers. Here's a bonus. You all that have listened to my podcast or seen some of my videos, you know this what this is. But for everyone else, there are those leaders that look good on paper, resumes, performance reports, awards, accolades, and etc., but cannot lead their way out of a wet paper bag. 
Legends, it is our duty, our responsibility to make certain that this never happens under our watch. We will provide feedback and correct or stop any paper tigers directly in their tracks. Listen, it's not hard because they're not real leaders and they will back down from their made-up position quickly. However, a word of caution, if you do not challenge and correct them, they will end up promoting and messing up people because they have no idea how to lead. Then it will be your fault. Care. Real leadership takes action. Create a remarkable experience. If leaders do not take action to demonstrate that they care about their followers, then they are simply thinking about their followers versus leading them. Therefore, leaders must create a positive experience and environment because it will not happen without action. If the leader waits on someone else to act or create, then they lose their impact and credibility. What is a remarkable experience? Well, there are undoubtedly many definitions of what a remarkable experience is. However, for this principle, a remarkable experience is a positive experience a follower should have regarding an action that a leader has taken. Think of it this way. Try to remember a time that someone else cared about you, your life, your family, your goals, and or your career, and was not just filling in the perceived leadership requirement. You probably felt like they were concerned about your success and not their own. And you probably recognized that they were more interested in adding value to your life versus gaining anything for themselves. That's what this care principle is all about. It's about leaders adding value to the lives of those that they lead. It requires leaders to slow down, stop checking boxes, and start creating relationships with people. Start adding value to their lives and empowering them to accomplish their goals. This will no doubt be a remarkable experience for anyone exposed to this type of leadership and in turn, motivate them to become real leaders themselves. Come on now, if you're not getting this done, lace them up. Profession of arms. For my service members reading this or listening to this, we must never forget that what we are serving for. The profession of arms is much older than our young country. The profession of arms emerged over centuries arising from the need to defend a nation's territory, culture, ideals, and people. Its members were the noble few who stood for what was morally right and ethically just, who endured the burdens and who fought to defend their nation's interests or to shield those who could not protect themselves. Those who answer this call and embody a warrior spirit are the few who are prepared to give what President Abraham Lincoln described as their last full measure of devotion in order to serve a higher cause. Oath of Enlistment I, blank, do solemnly swear or affirm that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me, according to regulations and the Uniform Code of Military Justice. So help me God. Never forget that. We are here. Let's empty out our packs for some last-minute wisdom nuggets, especially geared for our Air Force senior non-commissioned officers, senior NCOs. However, if you know me, then you know I like for the rest of us to have the mindset of always ready. So NCOs, let's get it too. To my civilian leaders out there, apply accordingly. Advise. What type of advice will you be giving? What will it be based off of? What does mentor mean? Will you just shoot off at the mouth or will you dig in and make sure that you are truly advising and mentoring? I guarantee most, if not all of you, have complained about all the road senior NCOs, you know, those retired on active duty, that you know, have known, or know now. Now, your turn not to mess it up. Don't be road. Professional military education. Quit complaining about it and get what you can from it. Is it where it needs to be yet? No, but that doesn't mean it's not good. Experience. Is that true or do you just have a bunch of relived experiences, meaning that you have done the same thing repeatedly, counting them as a combined array of experiences? People will listen to you and expect that experience. Do not fake them with it. Involved. You must be involved in decision-making process. Do not be the they-decided type of NCO or senior NCO. Transition. 
You must transition from the frontline supervisor and technical expert to more of the manager and leader, but do not become disconnected from the airman out getting the J-O-B done. Responsible. You will be responsible, so get used to it. You cannot afford to be parochial. There's an entire team waiting and needing to be led by you. Manage. It's okay to manage, too. Managing is not bad. You must be good at both leading and managing, or you will suck. Role model. You must make the hard right calls versus the easy wrong calls. You must be the example of a professional that is always ready. Translator. This gets an F all the time. We as senior NCOs want to be in charge but blame everything on the boss or the commander. Where will you be? Most will be hanging out at the smoke pit saying, I don't know, man. It's just what the commander wants. Fail. You should be helping to shape the ops, the actions, and the narrative. Developer. Oh, yeah. The work just started. This is another area that we're not doing well enough in, but I have faith that you will get after it. Ready. You must make sure your team is ready. Our next war will be a lot different than the one we just spent the last 20 years in. We also must never forget that our teammates are human. We covered that at great length. And they need us to listen to them. That is another form of readiness that is all too often missed. But I know you will not overlook it. Inclusive. Where are you? How are you leading, senior NCOs? All leaders have a special obligation and responsibility to ensure the Air Force, any organization really, retains a climate and culture of dignity and respect. One more thing. Committed warrior. No need for chapter summary or key takeaways on this one. A legit leader is a true warrior, even though they may not wear or bear a weapon in their daily activities. However, they have the warrior mentality. There are plenty of times in a leader's journey that will be easier just to not care or to give up. Nevertheless, a leader will certainly not do that because they have courage to fight on. Leaders must also demonstrate strength, not physical strength, but rather a strong and courageous mindset, not easily phased by the chaos around them. There are many times that the leader will be the only thing between chaos and calmness. And if leaders fail to be the calm in the storm, their team will fail. It is critical that a strong, courageous leader remains humble, because if not, they will lose their ability to relate and connect with those around them. Real talk. Leaders know they do not have to be right all of the time. Even if you are right, there is a way to approach it. You do not have to be quote-unquote right all of the time. Being humble also supports being open-minded leader. If your team does not see you as an open-minded and humble warrior, then you're not leading and you definitely need to lace them up. We're in the dash. You know that dash on your tombstone? There's a born date, a dash, and then a death date. We are in the dash. Every moment counts. Every human counts. And we must never forget that. I want you all to have fun and live in the dash that's worth talking about. Do it with love and live with no regrets. Just be a boot leader. Love y'all. Let's get it. Epilogue. I'm not big on conclusions as I've already left it all out on the trail. If you must indeed have a conclusion, I'll leave you with this. As a leader, you do not have an easy trail to walk on the summit to your life and always remember that it's about the journey and just to care about those that you meet along the way. It is critical that we are kind and treat everyone with dignity and respect. They earned that as soon as they entered this world. Good luck and Godspeed out there, legends. I'll see you out on the trail. And remember, do not suck at this. People are truly counting on you to do your best. Acknowledgements. I want to thank the key people who helped me with some of the key areas of writing this book. First, my beautiful and loving wife, Amy. She poured hours into editing and formatting my book, along with dealing with me the entire time. Secondly, I am forever grateful for Rochelle, Crystal, Janae, Nina, George, and Leslie for sharing their thoughts and wisdom that rounded this trail guide out perfectly. Thank you all for not only that, but for also being an important part of my journey.